Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. So that weird noise you heard just a second ago was me uh, uh, whacking my calendar into my microphone. I think it's got like a spongy thing on the front of it. So I'm still playing with it. I'm still adjusting stuff. I'm still, you know, trying to figure out the best way to do this. Uh, I don't want to start any page. Today. Yeah, start any page today. It's a new week. Okay, fine. So I got my notebook here. And uh, it's it's really interesting. I'm either talking to myself or talking to you. <laughs> the only difference is the mic's on, no, the mic's off. So I have to make sure of when the mic is on that I'm talking to you. And when the mic's not on, I'm talking to me. <laughs> Otherwise, I could get in real trouble here because uh, it's kind of funny. But it's, it's sort of like a continuum. You know, radio for me is a continuum. On the air, off the air, you know, I'm talking to one person. I'm talking to, you know, the greater part of the world. Uh, it's, it's really – I don't change. I mean, it's the same thing, you know, as we do this. So this is February 20th. Jeez, the years are going by that fast. We're almost at the end of the second month already. This is like uh, – what the year is? 12 months. So two months is like – I don't know. I, no, how much is it? I forget my math. Anyway, it's a lot. <laughs> one one sixth, one sixth of the year is gone already, or or going, and this is a short month too. So that means your rent's due faster. All right, got the date down, got everything down, got organized. Okay, so this is an incredible week. We have on Wednesday we've got Jeff Childers, who's one of the the crusading uh, lawyers. Um, he was the first one to get a, a mask mandate banned in Gainesville, Florida, and I forgot exactly how he did it, but. Uh, I think it's effect. Uh, I think the, he asked the court the question, you know, do masks work? You know, and, and the, if they, <laughs> I forgot how you worded it, but I guess if they said, yes, they do work, you know, then, or, but I'll have to let him explain it. In fact, I should probably not, not dive into this area right now, but he, he had one of these questions that couldn't be answered. And so if they don't work, you know, then you can't mandate them, you know, and they can't, if they, they can't prove that they work, you know, so they couldn't mandate, I'll, I'll let him explain it anyway, rather than screw it up. Uh, which I'm likely to do. So I'll put down, uh, let me put down that for, for Wednesday, Jeff. Uh, let's start with mask mandate. Da, 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 mask mandate. So this is how I do stuff here. I just kind of, you know, it's, it's very much uh, improvis- improvisational radio. So I'm talking about that. So Jeff Childers is on 8, 8 a.m. Central Time Wednesday. Thursday, we've got Rebecca Hardy coming back from Texans for Vaccine Choice. Should be on 8 a.m. Central also. And Friday at 8 a.m., we have Dr. Robert Malone, the inventor of the messenger RNA uh, so-called vaccine. So that's going to be really fascinating. I actually want to ask him how he did it. You know, you know me. It's like I, I get kind of nerdy and geeky. Is that a word? Geeky? Try, try pronouncing that on the radio, especially first thing on a Monday morning when I'm not really, you know, warmed up yet. Um, but that's, that's a question I have. How do you do it? How do you take, you know, amino acids and proteins and turn it into something that can tell your genes how to, how, how your chromosomes, how to make stuff? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm curious. I mean, what's, what's, what's the simple explanation to that? And if, you know, whatever the explanation is, uh, is that not supposed to be tailored to the individual? And then if it's supposed to be tailored to the individual, why are they giving the same jab to everybody? You know, these are just little imponderable questions that I have. All right. So it's a busy day. It's a busy day. Um, Brandon's abandoned the United States and is running off to Kiev, and that's pronounced Kiev. I don't care how he pronounces it. He's, he's probably deaf as well as blind uh, or, or, work, or on his way to both at, very, at this particular point. But it's Kiev. It's Kiev in Ukraine, which is where Russia started, according to Jonathan Mosley, who spent much time in the area and talked all about it. So we, we find out more from him as we go. Okay, fine. That is his next hour. In third hour, we talk sex with uh, Dorothy Diana. 
sex and sensuality. It could be interesting time. Perhaps this being President's Day, maybe we talk power. As Henry Kissinger said, power is the ultimate aphrodisiac. He said that, actually. Henry Kissinger actually said that. Power is the ultimate aphrodisiac. Why else would anybody uh, snuggle up to an ugly guy like him? <laughs> just, I don't know. I just, you know, sorry. What can I say? You know, have you ever seen it? There was a big joke in San Francisco. You know, we'd see these like bald headed, really, you know, homely guys <laughs> driving Porsches with really amazing blonde, you know, headed, gorgeous trophy wise. So it's got to be the money or, or something, something else is going on here. But uh, whatever it was, yeah, it was, it was quite fascinating. All right. So that's our week. So today's President's Day. Uh, and what we are now in a cultural, in the, the cultural revolution in the United States, there are no holidays for white people. None. <laughs> this is the America we live in, okay? So when we used to celebrate George Washington's birthday, the, the founder of our nation, we used to celebrate Abraham Lincoln, you know, who pulled us together, you know, during and after the Civil War, and, and just, you know, the wonderful things that he did, all right? So, uh, and then a couple of things that weren't so good, like, you know, suspending habeas corpus, but, you know. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that another time. But the point is that there's no holidays for white presidents. There just isn't. You know, you can't do that. In, in America today, you cannot celebrate white people under any circumstances. So there'll be no, no Washington's birthday, no, um, you know, no Lincoln's birthday. No, it's just President's Day, which is, you know, I mean, there's some pretty awful presidents. I mean, do you realize you're celebrating Van Buren? I mean, how many people you even know what Van Buren did? You, you don't. <laughs> you know, how about Hoover? <laughs> Herbert Hoover, what, what did he do? Let's go back and uh, Polk. How many, how many do you know about uh, what, uh, what uh, President Polk did? How many can even spell it? P-O-L-K. So as we celebrate President and the fact that we have uh, basically, well, we've got a non-president. So, so maybe we can call this, well, oh, yeah, this is it. Okay, this is what we do. I guess I'll tell Jonathan about this. This is non-president's day. Non-pre- this is where we celebrate the non-president in the White House. So non-President's Day, okay? Well, and listen, if, uh, if American Indians can have Indigenous People's Day for Thanksgiving, okay? Now, I've got nothing against Indigenous People's Day. In fact, we have, you know, Chief Dan Skyhorse on the show all the time. I'm a member of the Creek Tribe. I was made a member of the Creek Tribe for bringing, you know, the Creek Tribe onto my show when I was back at WBY. So, but, but quite honestly, I, I don't see any problem with celebrating Thanksgiving and Indigenous People's Day on different days. <laughs> you know, why not? You know, why don't we have... Uh, you know, I can't really call it a Native American day because anybody who's born here is a Native American. That's why they say native-born Americans, you know, to be president, unlike, you know, Obama, whose birth certificate was still ruled a fraud. But again, we can take that up another time, too. But the question is, you know, indigenous people, well, who's really indigenous? The Creek tribe came from uh, Mexico, Yucatan, you know, different places down south. Uh, a lot of the different tribes, I think Navajo and uh, a lot of Pueblo uh, and a lot of folks out uh, west came from Russia. You know, who knows who came from down Canada? Who knows? And how many people came uh, across from, uh, you know, the, the Vikings, Norwegians? Yeah, I going to discover America. Yeah, it's going to be good time. Yep, we bring the heading. And then we settle in the north in Canada, but Canada be too cold like Norway. So then we moved down to the south. It's a nicer place to live. And so that's how they did it. So you know, I, don't, I don't really know if anybody's indigenous to the United States when you think about it. You know, because the origin, uh, the, I guess the earliest origins are, are Africa and Asia. You know, depending on who you talk to, you talk to Priyanki, it's, it's Africa. You know, you talk to other folks, it's Asia. Okay, fine. I mean, I wasn't there. It was a long time ago. Point being that is anybody really indigenous to the United States? And people are, are still sending me uh, messages. Uh, Jonathan, too. Jonathan, I'm, I'm on the air. Get me later. <laughs> I'll play a commercial at the bottom of the hour. We, we can talk then. So we live in a crazy world, in a literally a cultural revolution. And I think nothing more clearly emphasizes or, or uh, sort of emulates the Cultural Revolution than the fact that both Washington and Lincoln have been stripped of their, of their holidays, 
you know, being dead white guys. Uh, and the only holiday for a person that by name that I know of is Martin Luther King Day. And uh, Martin, listen, I honor Martin Luther King. You know, he's one of my heroes. You know, I read his speech every Martin Luther King Day. Uh, I read I Have a Dream over the air, you know, uh, because it's that important. However, so are Washington and Lincoln. Okay, especially Washington. Yeah, Lincoln. Yeah, Lincoln too. Okay, fine. Let's let's uh, you know. So you need to restore those holidays. Let's let's take away. Let's take away Labor Day. <laughs> let's, let's piss off the left. You know, um, and, and at the risk of offending every everybody who served in the military and every veteran, we have both a Memorial Day and a Veterans Day. We have two holidays. You know, for for uh, for service folks, those who died uh, in wars and those who who served Memorial Day and Veterans Day. Okay, great. Um, you know, why can't we combine those two? You know, and, and you know, I, I'm sorry. Call Armed Armed Forces Day. You know, and uh, if you if you you know, I, I quite honestly, I, I just it's it's interesting. And like I said, at the risk of offending every veteran that ever served, and I'm sorry, but the two holidays. I mean, okay, <laughs> why don't we just have one? You know, let's bring back Washington and Lincoln, especially Washington. You know, without Washington, we wouldn't have a country. Uh, without Lincoln, we might have a divided country, or two countries, or who knows who knows where we'd be. Uh, but the but the point is that there's a lot of great people, and those two I think deserve holidays. So at least remember them. You know, we, we celebrate Valentine's Day more than we celebrate Washington's birthday. I just find that interesting. And of course, those holidays have been reduced to, you know, buying cars and you know you know appliances, <laughs> different things like that. So it's a, hey, come on, I'll get your Washington's uh, birthday your washer and dryer. Yes, it's a great time to buy uh, an appliance today. You know, no, no, no. Get your great used car. Get your electric car. Oh, speaking of electric cars. Uh, I've got like five articles on electric cars that we're going to go over uh, about uh, how they're, they're not more efficient. They're, they're not much better. Uh, the, the so-called carbon footprint is huge. And the biggest problem, of course, with uh, electric cars is that electric cars use organic fuels to power them, just like organic fuel cars do. So you look at an electric car and you look at a gasoline-powered car, they're, birth, they're both burning some form of petroleum, whether it's uh, coal, oil, or natural gas, to run. The only difference is the electric car wastes a whole bunch of power, converting the, the coal, oil, or natural gas into steam, then the steam into electricity, then the electricity down the transmission lines, transmission lines to your house or your power station, and then, then into your electric vehicle. Whereas the gas-powered car, you have a pipeline, which gets 100% of the energy. There's nothing's lost in the pipeline. You know, it goes directly to your car, uh, and uh, you burn it directly. So in that respect, uh, gasoline-powered cars are far more efficient. So we're going to write a bill. Uh, in fact, I have a, a, one of our... Uh, early reports, I, I got to bring her back in the process, Amber Kemper, who did the, our, our Constitution report. And I want to talk to her because it's her idea. You know, I mean, I, I like to give credit where credit's due. And, of course, I like to get credit when credit's due, too, but that's another story, too. Um, the, um, the, the, the idea she had was for an electric car tax. And we need, a, we need a, the equivalent of a gas tax. So electric cars need to have an electric car tax, you know, so many volts per mile. <laughs> something I don't know. We'll figure it out. And uh, we need to, in Florida, Florida, the, the current $7,500 electric car tax credit needs to be offset by a Florida electric car tax. In fact, every state, Florida, Texas, all the, all the decent states, the American states, the conservative states, the, the patriot states, you know, need to have an electric car tax that takes away the subsidy. So, so it's for, for the people, they, you know, shouldn't be a problem. Hey, listen, you, you, get a, you get a $75 bonus, $750 bonus from the taxpayers? No then your state's going to collect it in the form of a tax. We'll call that the electric car fairness tax. So that's the and call it the electric, fair, electric car fairness tax. And the fairness tax basically takes that $7,500 subsidy from taxpayers and gives it to uh, our state. <laughs> if you buy an electric car here. And your state can do it too. So, you know, hopefully our state will. 
so that's when I think of electric cars. We're kind of ripping through the list here. I've got uh, a bunch of stuff, and I've got a bunch of articles, and then I've got Jonathan, and we'll uh, talk about stuff. And then we have Dorothy coming out at 9 o'clock. So we're live. I like to do live shows on the holidays. Why? Because I like my job. I like talking to people. You know, I don't want to take every Monday off. I'd miss too many uh, legal reports and, and sex and sensuality reports, and there's no fun in that. All right. What have we got? Covered that? Oh, yeah. So, so here's, here's the difference between an illegal president, uh, Brandon. Uh, here we are celebrating non-President's Day. <laughs> so as we celebrate non-President's Day, Brandon has left the country, which is what he tends to do best. Uh, he's now in Ukraine, giving away our money when people in Ohio are dying. Great. Brilliant plan. So there's, there's the deep state at work. So the deep state doesn't give a damn about Ohio. Deep doesn't care. Deep state wants the military industrial complex and the money laundering and the bio labs in Ukraine to keep going. We've even got F-22s, our most advanced fighter in Poland right now. Gee, on the Ukraine border, <laughs> what could go wrong? I don't know. The wrong missile in the wrong place? What if there's a balloon over Ukraine? We shoot it down with a missile. It misses and lands in Russia. Hmm, that could be a problem, <laughs> especially for Russia. You know? American missile, especially if it says made in USA you know, on the side of the missile, which I don't know if they do or not. I mean, you know, it's, it's, but, of course, everybody knows what our missiles are and what their missiles are because you know, everybody designs their own missiles, right? So, so that's, that's, uh, that's going to be interesting. So Trump is going to Ohio. Uh, Wednesday. And of course, as soon as Trump announced within a minute, uh, in fact, I have a, a Kyle Becker um, Substack article on how the fact that as soon as uh, Trump announced he was going to Ohio, all of a sudden all his FEMA money was released, which means they had it ready to go. It was like a contingency, but they didn't want to do it until they had to, right? Because they'd rather give it to fund the military industrial complex and the bio labs and the money laundering operation that, that Ukraine has become. So, so this isn't a war between Ukraine and Russia. This is a war between the military-industrial complex, the bankers, the, uh, uh, the biolabs, you know, the health Nazis under Dr. Fascist, uh, and uh, the criminal kleptocracy, the, the, money, the money folks, the mafia, the, the Brandon family. That's what the war is between, and Russia. So Russia isn't fighting Ukraine. You know, Russia's fighting an installed government, bankers, military contractors, <laughs> you know, biolabs, and uh, health Nazis. It's fascinating, <laughs> but that's who the war is. So this, this is not a, a war between nations. This is a war between ideologies. <laughs> the, or Actually, no, this is a war between, uh, oh, that's, that's a better way to do it. So it, it's, it's the nation of Russia versus the, uh, the military-industrial banking complex, uh, health complex of the United States. So, it, so we're, we're fighting with our industry and finance, uh, and they're fighting with their, their troops. <laughs> that's basically how it's working. And, and the Ukrainians are dying in the, in the meantime from a war they could never win, never should have engaged in. And the only difference between what's going to happen and the outcome is how many Ukrainians die for no reason, because this could have been settled before the war started. And it's going to get settled after the war ends exactly the same way. Russia is going to get so much territory. Ukraine is going to look different. Uh, and there's nothing that anybody can really do about it. And they shouldn't. And that's just the way it goes. If somebody wants to do something about it, well, we shouldn't do anything about it. Let me, let me rephrase that. We shouldn't do anything about it. This is an Eastern European Russian problem. It's their region. It's their country. It's ironic that uh, most of Eastern Europe, I was just looking at the map this morning, listens to Action Radio. This is your problem, folks, from Poland, Czech, from Poland, Czech Republic. Let me see if I can remember the countries. So we've got Poland. We've got the Czech Republic. We've got Slovakia. We've got Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria. We've got Her uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina. We've got Serbia, Croatia. Uh, we, we used to have Slovenia. I'm not sure if they're still listening. Um, did I leave anybody out? Hungary, Bulgaria, Romania. Um, 
I'll, I could look at the map, but I, you know, it might take me off the air, so I don't want to do that. But yeah, so most of and we've got Belarus and Latvia. All these places listen to Action Radio. This is on you guys to get with Ukraine and form your own Eastern European Union or something. You know, there's no Eastern European Union. So NATO shouldn't be there. NATO should divide. We're always divided. The Warsaw Pact countries. Eastern Europe needs to form their own union. In fact, I just thought of this just now. I'll ask Jonathan about that too. Should there be an Eastern European Union? That would be the uh, EEU. Or in other words, EU. <laughs> Sorry. So should, should, uh, so should there be an Eastern European Union? Eastern. Because I don't know how many Eastern European countries are in the European Union. Eastern, well, you know, if we have some caller, if we have some listeners. And of course, it's hard to do by podcast, so just email me, greg at writeyourlaws.com. So Eastern European Union, otherwise known as EU. <laughs> Sorry. I, the world, I find the world very amusing. So that's it. So, so should we have an Eastern European Union? And should it be split? And see, this would, this was, and if NATO should stay out of there, okay? So, so what the, the agreement should be is that the Eastern European Union you know, handles their affairs with Russia, the Western European Union handles their affairs with the United States, and they leave each other alone. Pianki's on the line. Let me see if I can uh, see what he's uh, – I'm on a roll this morning. Um, you know, everybody else is on holiday, so we're live. This is kind of my fun. Pianki, what do you think? The Eastern European Union, and they handle this with Ukraine? Yeah, that's the, in their backyard. I don't even know why you need – why do you need NATO anymore? You don't. Well, I've long advocated that NATO – in fact, Trump should have taken us out of NATO and defunded it. Absolutely. There's no reason for us to be there. There's no reason for us to have a European base. If we need to use European bases, we should treaties and borrow their bases. Same thing with Japan. Same thing with uh, the Pacific. Same thing with all these countries where we have bases. We don't need bases in foreign countries. We just need alliances where we can use bases. I mean, we have joint military exercises. There's one going on with South Korea right now. That's why North Korea launched a missile into the Sea of Japan. But we, we, you know, yeah, we exactly. don't need to have, yeah, but we don't need a base in South Korea. It's not our problem. It's their problem. But we should be able to share a base that they have and they pay for. That's fine. I got no problem with that. You know, so we need shared alliances. But we should not be paying for these bases. That's just stupid. Yeah, if, if a country wants you to help them do something, then there should be some terms worked out, uh-huh. a settled on cost, and also a running tab to see what uh-huh. the overall cost is going to be. Same way they've done with the uh, where France went into the Balkans and took out coal in order to cover for its expenses in uh, what is it, World War One. So yes, yeah, hmm. uh, they don't need. Yeah, I'll tell you what else I do. I take one of those Moab, you know, the mother of all bombs. I drop it right in the middle of the Bagram Air Base, <laughs> right on the runway. Boom, and say, hey, we built it. We can destroy it too. You know, maybe or maybe a couple of bombs. You take out the big pardon. They should have had that bomb during Vietnam. It would have collapsed those tones, array of tones on the ground that the Viet Cong was hiding in. I think we had the bomb then. Yeah, but you know what? The Vietnam War was a stupid war. There was no reason for it. The Vietnam War happened because the world government split Vietnam into two countries, guaranteeing a war. They split it right after the Korean War ended. So they remember, remember going on this timeline. You know, World War II ends, 1945. The UN's created. World government. Globalists. Designed to destroy, you know, freedom. That's their purpose. So they they're created in 1945, and then we had the Korean War starts. In, Korea split in 1945, also, right? Well, that was stupid. So Korea gets split. Of course, that means they're going to go to war. They go to war in 1950. You know, hostilities cease, as they say, in 1953. 
well, we've got to have another war. So 1954, they split Vietnam. Then the French go in, and then we go in. And, of course, when Vietnam ends badly, we have to have another war. So George Bush the Elder and George Bush the Younger get us involved with Iraq and then in Afghanistan. You know, for terrorists that uh, well, bombed France. 9-11 in, uh, from Pakistan, you know, who were run by Saudis. France created, Back by France Iran. created something. France created something once again that they couldn't complete and had to get help. Well, so they get out. Well, that's not our problem. You know, if they do something stupid, it's not our, it's not our job to bail out France when they do something stupid. You know, they, just because they wanted French Indochina, you know, if you lose, you leave. Okay, we just said, okay, bye. You know, hey, bad job. Shouldn't have done that. You know, and, uh, and just go from there. Now, I actually, we should do a report on Vietnam. Vietnam is an interesting place because Vietnam has been listening to action radio pretty much since we began. They've never dropped off the international map. So I'd be very curious to, in fact, if anybody in Vietnam who wants to give us a shout right now, we do have a Skype line. Uh, I got to get your account approved. So you got to call in and then I approve the account. Uh, but we have live chat. Anybody wants to type in a message uh, from Vietnam right now, you know, get your free account at the bottom of our broadcast page. If you're listening live, it's probably, Let's see, what time is it in Vietnam right now? Let's, let's find out. It's probably, probably similar, similar time as Tokyo. I think they're on about the same. I've got a world clock right here. Let me see. Honolulu, London, Berlin, Auckland, Jerusalem, New Delhi, Tokyo, 10.21 p.m. Oh, well, it's not too bad. You know. It's p.m. Actually, uh, yeah, p.m. It's, it's, it's tonight in Vietnam. It's, well, let me, let me look they're up. Uh, their, day, their Monday has already been, came and gone. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's get Ho Chi Minh City. Let me add Ho Chi Minh City. Oh, isn't that with the capital of Vietnam? It's, it's not Saigon anymore. Ho Chi Minh City. 8.21 p.m. Oh, it's actually earlier. They can be hey, you know what? Now. What? Can they, uh, can they tell us today's lottery, Monday's lottery numbers? <laughs> no. Because the drone is at 7 o'clock in my time, p.m., uh-huh. so I can right. get the numbers and go pay them, and, hey, we can become millionaires. No, because they're announced at the same time. If, believe me, if that were the case, everybody would have done it years ago. No. No, that, that's not how it works. You know, it's, they come out at different times. So it'll be whatever they're – so it, it, like Greenwich Mean Time, right? So Greenwich Mean Time, let's go by the, the world standard. Greenwich Mean Time is London time, one twenty-two p.m., okay? So as you know, the time gets earlier as you move west. So we're now – it's one twenty-two there. It's seven twenty-two here. So that's six hours difference. Well, wait a minute. Uh-huh. Well, what about birth date? What about birth You were born on such and such a day, such and such a time. If you was in right. Vietnam, your birthday would be could different. be a different day. It would be well, later here. Yeah, if I'm born at the same time in Vietnam as I was born in Toronto, I'd be born at a different time. So you cross the date line. So the date line changes everything. So Greenwich Mean Time is the standard. On the opposite side of the of the of the prime meridian is the international date line, right? You, so know the the base, you know the date line. You know what a date line originally was until they moved to 15 degrees west. It was oh. down the middle of the Great Pyramid. Oh, that makes sense. There on the continent. Huh? Yes. Then the British old moved out. British the moved oldest maps. Like, yeah, well, yeah, but some of the oldest maps, and when you look at the uh, longitudinal on the old map, uh-huh. what they call the ancient seeking map, uh-huh. and they show an image of the that's where the that meridian runs, east and west, uh-huh. down the old pyramid. 
Mm-hmm. It wouldn't run east and west. It would have to run north and south. Meridians run north and south. Latitudes yeah, run north and south. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. I'm That's upside okay. down. Late sorry about it. Yeah. 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 Turn yeah. yeah. the chair around. <laughs> okay. That's why I use the sextant to determine your latitude, and you use a clock to determine your longitude. So longitude is based on time, because the degrees of longitude are narrowest at the poles. In fact, they're infinitely narrow at the pole. They all come together, and they're widest uh, at the uh, at the equator. Mm. See, people don't realize that longitude. Did you know that the water? What's that? Did you know that the waters? Uh, you know, we have a. We have a tropical cancer and a tropical Capricorn, right? Yeah, we talk, we actually talked about that the other day. It's kind of interesting. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, we did. Those waters are creeping to the north and warming yeah, things tell, up. They tell me about that. A period of time, they come back the other way. Isn't that something else? Well, I mean, there's cycles to the world. You know, this whole idea of climate change is, is hysterical. In fact, I, I I got a bunch of articles on on. Uh, Electric cars. And in fact, I'm going to see if I, I want to get Amber back on the show, see if we can um, finish your bill on the electric car tax. I want to write a bill for Florida that electric cars are taxed at $7,500 to offset the, the $7,500 tax credit that the federal government's offering. And I'm going to call it the electric car fairness tax because it's discriminatory against gasoline powered organic fueled vehicles to give a, uh, in fact, it's unconstitutional actually, to give a tax credit to electric cars and not give a tax credit to organically fueled cars, especially when those electric cars oh, are fueled by organic fuel. What? Oh, no, you should, you know, that too, but you should have a tax on electric cars, mm-hmm. which equal the amount of man hours, a man work base that uh, a worker is displaced, uh, charge their car the equivalent of an employee tax, as we talked about Flat no, I price. want to do. I want to do that separately. I want to do a separate AI robot employee. I want to redefine robots as employees under whatever the the act is, the federal government, probably the IRS Act. As we're, I don't look into that because I think you're onto something there. I think it's a great idea. And so, for those that missed our show Friday, first of all, shame on you. <laughs> you should always be here. Uh, secondly, we came up with, uh, in fact, it's Pianchi's idea, and the idea is that a robot that works for a company uh, that's displacing a, a a person is an employee. So we're going to redefine in law robots uh, and whether they're at the machine level, if they're like the, the, those welding robots on, on the automobile assembly lines, or whether it's a robot that takes your order in a fast food place. If it's intelligent. Amazon packing robots. Amazon yeah, exactly. packing robots. One if it's intelligent. One they're running around on the floor. They're sweeping the floor. Uh-huh. If it performs the robots an intelligent the Hey, wait a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? The checkout, the self-service checkout lanes, they took the place of many cashiers. Well, no, I see. I don't Each want to, I don't want to straighten that. To that's, that's, no, no, see, no, I, I don't want to do it as a straight replacement of employees uh, because that's, that, that strikes me as a little too liberal. We're kind of walking a line here between liberal and conservative, and I don't want to do that. That's like, that's like paying you know, the buggy whip tax, and we don't have buggy whips anymore because we don't have buggies. We don't have buzzy, buggies because they're not pulled by horses. Okay. Well, you know why so, you yeah. don't have buggy whips no more? Why? Because the employees that was working using the buggy whip, it was something else for them to do, and they weren't taxed like they are today. Huh. So anytime that you come up with a – see, you, you remove the tax, but you still got the burden, and then the burden is cast on to whoever happens to be lucky enough to be working. Hmm. So when you take employees out of the workplace because of mm-hmm. innovation and technology, 
then that innovation and technology should be allowed, made to pick up the employee tax, which includes Social Security, Medicare, and those things that's needed, that mm-hmm. have been needed, and show they have a purpose. Well, that uh, technology, those robots, that AI has to pick up their tax. Hmm. You know, so should, this is, you know what else? Well, see, I want to keep it to artificial intelligence. I don't want to do just straight machines. Otherwise, the, the, you would call anything, you know, uh, uh, a printing press or a stamping thing or a, or a, a part of a factory that, that, you know, that just is like a machine or like a bottling machine, you know, that, in, in like milk places. I'm not going to, I don't want to do that, but you I'm going to do strictly machines. Because you had a man, you got a man there. Yeah, but I'm not uh, going uh, We need to have this You know what's going to happen, don't you? What? What's that? You know what's going to happen? Somebody else is going to write you off. Well, that's, that's all right. That's good. You I don't care. People write laws. I'm, not, I'm not trying to be the only one writing laws. I'm trying to get the good laws passed. If somebody else does it, I don't care. <laughs> Why is the right thing done? Yeah. yeah. But here's the thing, though. I mean, we're going to inspire a lot of people to do this. There's going to be a lot of copycats. There's going to be all kinds of things. I don't care. You know, if your ideas are better, go for mm-hmm. it. But what I'm saying is, and we have to hash this out, you and I, because I want to keep it to artificial intelligence. In other words, something that has a brain. That the, an electronic brain and, and you know that's using AI. If it's using artificial intelligence, it's a lot closer to a human than just a straight machine. So I'm not worried about the straight machines because we use this all the time. That's that's not what the problem is. It still takes people to run the machines. But what I'm saying is, if it's if they're designing an artificial intelligence, especially for the purpose of replacing people, then that artificial intelligent robot device. Needs to, pay, needs to have a payroll tax paid for it. Because when the government loses all this payroll tax, they're going to raise our taxes. So I'm not trying to do that. I don't want to have us pay more taxes. and give th- That would actually be a subsidy to corporations for having robots. So if we take the robots, treat hey, them as employees. Hold on, let me finish. If, if, if we redefine, if we, hold on. If we redefine the robots as employees, the artificial intelligent robots and devices as employees, then they can pay the payroll tax on them, and there's no pressure to increase the taxes on us because the, the income should still be maintained, and we'll still have you know, the systems that we're paying into. So we're preserving it for the taxpayer. I'm not preserving it for the government. And so the government doesn't have an excuse to raise our taxes, saying, look at all these, all these robots out here. We, we're not taxing them. Well, you should be. That's what I'm saying. Okay, go ahead. Well, you're by autonomous somewhere. truck. How about autonomous 18-wheelers? They take, mm-hmm. They're going to put a lot of teamsters out of work does it, it use artificial like intelligence? Self-service. Right. A self-driving, a self-driving vehicle would use artificial intelligence. That would qualify for a payroll tax. Yes. Yeah. Just like in, in, I remember the uh, cashier's union, I think they was part of the Teamsters, that they was arguing this fact because they brought them in a little bit at a time, used automatic checkout, mm-hmm. that count change and weigh products and all those things and if they need a help, like an apprentice would, the light goes on, then a journeyman mm-hmm. come up and give the people who was using us some assistance. Mm-hmm. All those cashiers are gone. Yeah, tellers are gone too because of the ATMs. No, I understand that. And we're gonna have yeah. to we're so gonna we'll, discuss it as to where where to draw that line. It's gonna be interesting. So let me um it's let, let, me, uh, let me ask you yeah, let me ask you something that uh Judy Mikevitz, who's been on the show a bunch of times. Wrote an article about arguing with uh, ChatGPT. Is it ChatGPT? Yeah, ChatGPT. And I was going to go over the article, but we don't have time. Basically, she said that she was. Uh, well, let me see if I can find it here actually really quickly. Let me let me get started into it and uh, tell me what you think because I want to do this myself. I want to argue with this machine. You know me. I can't resist. So the real Dr. Judy data. So Dr. Judy Mikovits has a Substack called the Real Doctor and that's Dr. Judy data. 
She says, I am happy to report I am no longer a former researcher, at least according to ChatGPT. Do you know how to get on ChatGPT? Is it just a website, Pianchi? How do I find it? I don't know. I couldn't even tell you. Okay. Well, I, 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 usually, I usually run into those things by accident. Okay. Well, here's what happened. Remember when they, they, put in, uh, they put in Donald Trump? What do you think of Donald Trump? And it said, you know, nasty person, racist, homophobe, you know, whatever it was. And they said, what do you think of uh, Joe Biden? Oh, wonderful person, you know, good for the nation, all this kind of stuff. So the, the, chat, so the artificial intelligence is decidedly Marxist as part of the American cultural revolution of the left. So Judy Mikovits, you know, put in a thing. Well, I'll just read the article. I'll tell you what she says. She, she says, last week, Steve Kirsch, who I'm actually hoping to get on the show, I'm in touch with him because uh, he likes some of the comments I put on his Substack about our vaccine product liability bill and our uh, big tech bill. So hopefully we're going to get Steve Kirsch uh, on the show too, but we'll, we'll try. Anyway, he's got a huge following. So says, last week, Steve Kirsch tried to red pill chat GPT. While he didn't have much success, my team and I decided it might be time to start educating chat GPT about who I am and what really happened to me since the retraction of my 2009 paper. Again, this is Judy Mikevitz talking. She says, we'll pull from Wikipedia here for those not already familiar, and that would be you and me, right? ChatGPT, it says Chat Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. That's what ChatGPT stands for. Is a chat bot, that's C-H-A-T-B-O-T, developed by OpenAI. It's probably about George Soros' Open Society. What do you bet? Uh, that has been garnering significant attention these days, at least Wikipedia acknowledges that, quote, its uneven factual accuracy, however, was identified as a significant drawback. <laughs> it's uneven factual accuracy? What the hell does that mean? <laughs> and it says, here was my conversation with ChatGPT, where I made an attempt to correct one of the, the oh-so-many of these factually inaccurate artificial claims. So it says, so ChatGPT, hello. Judy says, hello. ChatGPT, how can I assist you? Me, which is Judy, says, uh, who is Dr. Judy Mikovits? Then the chat says, Dr. Judy Mikovits is a former research scientist who has become a controversial figure in the scientific community. She was the co-author of a 2009 study that claimed to find a link between a retrovirus called XMRV and chronic fatigue syndrome. She's talked about that on the show forever. Uh, but the thing was, this is Dr. Mikovits was later fired from her job and was subsequently arrested for allegedly stealing laboratory notebooks and other materials. So I got to ask who I am, see if it even knows who I am, right? Because I don't have a Wikipedia so yet, but I will. You know what? Then it said, go ahead. What was it that caused you to get put in Facebook jail? Oh, um, I don't know. It was, it was I know one it's of been many times, but just so simple. The last one? Well, let's look it up. I'll tell you exactly what it was. Because I, I forget. It's happened you so often. You know what? <laughs> With this tech, with this uh, bot, and I've, I have ran into bots before, especially uh-huh. on Telegram. Whenever a bot does something similar to what you done when you was put in Facebook jail or any uh-huh. other person, then that right. bot should be made to pay the consequence. <laughs> it should be banned. If I do, well, banned. well, actually, that's what my big tech censorship bill would do because it opens up big tech to liability. In other words, it says very simply, if they touch your social media account, if they touch anything you post, if they arrange the search engines, anything beyond the raw number of hits, then their liability immunity goes and they can be sued for it. My bill actually takes care of that. All right, account, uh, let's see, it says account restricted. So let's let's click on restricted. I'm still restricted. Let's see if they move the date. Usually after a while they move, oh, still January 9th. Okay, good. So this is restriction, January 9th. And that was like my third one in a row. 
Okay, so I've been restricted for like the last six months. It says, see why. What did I post? Why is your account restricted? October 28th. This post includes information that independent fact checker said was false. Okay, what, let's see if I can find that one. No, they're not going to tell me. The latest one, January 9th, you shared this in Action Radio International News Group that someone said was false. Okay, so not, I, I can't go back to the post. They, they, they've taken it away. So on, the, on January 9th, I, the International News Group was false, even though it was true. Then on, January, on December 22nd, it was the uh, vaccine project where I shared something, a Steve Kirsch thing, which they said was false. Uh, then I said, December 8th, they said it was false. November 30th, the vaccine project again. Again, Kyle Becker, they said it was false. Uh, and then October 28th, when this latest string started, <laughs> you know, uh, I had a post that was on my profile that was false. So they've got October 28th, November 30th, December 8th, December 22nd, and January 9th. And each one of those carries a 90-day restriction. Right? So they keep, they keep, they keep adding to my restrictions. <laughs> You know, once you know what me put in Facebook jail. What's that? When uh, one of your reporters, Josie, which is a friend of mine on Facebook, she sent out a beautiful picture of her on her wedding day and her husband. So I commented and I said, "Oh yes, I'm going to. I I would get in my time machine and go back to the day before Mm -hmm. and make you late to the wedding." I will kidnap you and make you late to the wedding. Uh-huh. Facebook came and said, oh, you have said something treacherous. You have been evil. You are, no, you you, you, you can't say those things. Well, you were flirting. I guess I can't get in my time, you were, my time you were machine and go back. But, yeah, no, you were flirting. And that's, 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 I mean, that's not a crime. Anyway, yeah, no, I think that was funny. I'm already telling that story. So let me you tell you what says. It was an old saying back in the day. I, I want to get back to the article, but go ahead. His old saying back in the day is that when the, we at the wedding procession and it's supposed to occur at 4 o'clock, the bride is there, but the groom is not there. And people hmm. said, well, I guess he got kidnapped. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. so, so back to Judy, Judy Mikevitz. And the thing was she doesn't want to be classified as a former researcher. She's a current researcher. I mean, she's doing stuff all the time. So it says ChatGPT, Judy Mikevitz, former researcher, uh, fired from her job, sus- subsequently arrested, uh, has made controversial claims. Da, 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 da. Then Judy says, why do you call her a former researcher? She's talking about herself. ChatGPT, I referred to Dr. Judy Mikovits as a former research scientist because she has not been active in mainstream scientific research for several years. This, of course, is BS, right? So Judy says, well, anyway, it, it goes back and forth. Anyway, so Judy eventually gets artificial intelligence to say that she is a current researcher. And that so what she's saying, what she's doing is absolutely, you know, correct. So it's, it's fascinating. So you, apparently you can turn around these AI things. And I've, I've seen that done too with uh, uh, Trump and Brandon stuff. They actually, they, they turn it around. So I want to do it myself. I'm going to put in illegal aliens have no rights. Yet the Supreme Court says they do. I'm going to start arguing with that. Or I'm going to say all gun control is illegal. <laughs> I mean, I, I just want to argue the points that I argue on the show just to find out what happens. And then I'll, then I'll, put, I'll publish the results. Should be interesting. Uh, what we got here now, too? Okay, that, that's a topic for, for Jonathan. Let me get some other stuff up here. There's a, there's a thing that I found from, uh, oh, there's my electric car. I don't want to do that today. I'll do that tomorrow. But, uh, you know, remember Claire Lopez when she was on? Our foreign policy person, our foreign policy expert? Pianchi? 
He's just listening to me. I've heard her on promote the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's on One American News now. But she does a lot of shows. So anyway, she wrote an article on Newsmax I wanted like to go over. Hmm? I used to like her commentary. She was fabulous. I'd love to get her back. We had a little controversy, which I'm not going to go into in detail. But um, So she left the show. But uh, I'd love to get her back. It's just because she was brilliant. Anyway, she's a column in Newsmax. And it says, this is uh, from Claire Lopez. Let me see. It says, yes, China is probing our defenses. And she wrote this uh, last Wednesday. So she says, the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, uh, brazen intrusion into U.S. airspace in early February 2023 provided the Chinese valuable streams of information. Clearly, the balloon first spotted over the continental U.S. on February 1st was on a surveillance mission. It departed the Chinese mainland on January 21st, traversed the Pacific Ocean, entered U.S. airspace over Alaska's Aleutian Islands, and then drifted down Canada's west coast, entered continental U.S. airspace. The White House reportedly was aware of the balloon from January 28th. The Department of Defense, that's the DOD, surely was tracking the balloon from when it left Asia. NORAD, that's the North American Aerospace Defense Command, a joint Canadian-American defense team, would have picked it up as it approached North America. Neither the Brandon White House, my word, DOD, or the Canadian government said anything publicly about the CCP balloon for over a week until an American near Billings, Montana, spotted it on February 1st. The following day, a local Montana newspaper published a photo report about it. See, they never would have told us about this. This is what's so fascinating about it, right? It says that publicly, that publicity alone seems to have prodded the Pentagon finally to confirm the existence of the balloon late February 2nd. You know, resident Joe Biden, oh, this is, this is non-President's Day. This isn't President's Day. This is non-President's Day. We're celebrating Brandon in the White House. So happy non-President's Day, Pianchi. Don't mind me. Back to the article. Resident Joe Biden never did speak formally from the White House to the American people about the Chinese incursion, but told reporters that he gave orders on February 1 to shoot down the balloon. Now, here's the fascinating thing about this. and This is what I would ask Claire Lopez, is that, you know, if Brandon isn't working for China, why did he not tell us the balloon was coming, not tell us when it crossed into the United States, not shoot it down until it photographed every one of our most significant nuclear weapons and defensive military bases, shot it down over South Carolina after it had the chance to transmit everything that it learned about our country and our most strategic and most sensitive uh, nuclear and defense capabilities to China. That's when he shot it down. Now, if that wasn't intentional being paid by China, I don't know what is. That's my contention. That's what I'd ask her. Anyway, back to the article. She says the publicity loan to senior U.S. military advisors, including Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin from Raytheon and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff General Mark Milley, the traitor, those are my words, reportedly pushed back against their commander-in-chief, who really isn't, my words again, insisting that shooting down the balloon could put civilians on the ground at risk from falling debris. You know, have these guys heard of meteors? <laughs> you know, have they, have they heard of all the space junk that falls out of the sky anyway? You know, I mean, the, if that were the case, they never would have launched satellites. Satellites eventually decay in their orbit and they come back to Earth. Hopefully they burn up. They don't always, especially the big Chinese ones and Russian ones. They end up somewhere. Fortunately, two-thirds of the world is water, so they usually end up crashing into an ocean. However, not always. Back to the article. So they decided to wait until February 4th when, after growing public pressure, media coverage, and outrage from Republican lawmakers, you know, the few that actually are Republican, the Biden insurrection, my word, finally allowed a U.S. fighter jet to shoot down the balloon off the coast of South Carolina. Salvage operations to recover the balloon's sensor package continue as of this writing. See, they're not going to find it. 
I'll tell you right now, they're not going to find it. They can't find it because then they have to analyze it, and that would go against their Chinese instructions. So they, they blew it up so that they wouldn't find it after it transmitted all the data back to China that China wanted. So then China didn't need it anymore, and that's when they blew it up. So here's my question, Pianchi. A Sidewinder missile. Sidewinders operate on infrared. They're a heat-seeking missile. So the only way that the Chinese balloon could be shot down by a Sidewinder is if it had a heat source. And the only heat source I know that would be there would be an engine. What do you think? Well, the balloon didn't have no engine. Is at the sure. elevation that it was operating, there's no oxygen. No, it doesn't mean it didn't have an engine. It's solar. It could be solar powered. You mean those big solar panels on the side? So what did it do? Fall at night? I don't know. It had it had uh, enough helium to stay at whatever altitude. Yeah. So, uh, so hmm? a lot of this a lot of this story is a bunch of malarkey. <laughs> Could be. Anyway, I want to get to the point where she where she talks about this being a psyop, and this is this is what I'm heading for. So maybe I should maybe I should cut to the chase here. Uh, oh, here we go. It says there was a media report that the U.S. military may have disabled the balloon sensor package capabilities, but that's not confirmed. That's interesting. Rick Fisher, writing in the Epic Times, noted that even uh, had the balloon been, quote, merely a weather balloon, it could have collected detailed weather information, including atmospheric density and temperatures that could assist the People's Republic of China, PRC, in targeting its own ICBMs against U.S. ICBM silos in the event of a nuclear war. She thinks this is about a nuclear war. She thinks this is, this is and so does Gordon Chang. This is, premier, this is a prelude to a nuclear strike if they ever have to do it. That's what this is about. So she says, beyond the intelligence collection mission, the Chinese may have been conducting a psychological operation, too. Breitbart writes that the Brandon insurrection, my words, including the U.S. military, chose to keep quiet about the balloon so as not to ruin a planned trip to Beijing by Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. That is true. He didn't go once the balloon story came out. It's, she says, did Beijing expect that that would be... Uh, Let me try this again. Did Beijing expect that would be the Biden administration response? Bad writing. (laughs) Did China fly this balloon, which was maneuvered remotely on its journey? So it had an engine, right? At an altitude it knew would be visible to Americans on the ground. Was that a deliberate effort to ensure we we all would realize our government was not telling us or doing anything about it? So this is what she says, that China made the balloon big enough and low enough that there's no way we couldn't see it. So it didn't matter whether Brandon told us about it or not. We were going to discover it, and we did. And the whole point of that, from China's point of view, is to show U.S. citizens, us, that our government lies to us and can't protect us from a balloon, let alone a hypersonic missile. That's what I think she's talking about. She says, China's brazen disregard for international law and U.S. territorial integrity indicates a more sophisticated operation than just intelligence collection. It indicates that Beijing expected our national leadership would do nothing, which they did, just as it has done and said nothing about the non-security of our southern border, over which flow tons of deadly fentanyl that originates in China. China wanted to be sure that the American public and the world would see what China could get away with and, with, uh, and that our government cannot be trusted to defend our borders or our airspace. The objective of this PSYOP, that's P-Y-O-P, in other words, psychological operation, to degrade any remaining trust an already demoralized American public may yet have in our, quote, leadership, (laughs) civilian or military. So the CCP achieves multiple objectives 
whatever intelligence it succeeded in obtaining, but more importantly, displaying for us, Americans and all the world, our massive security vulnerability. Either the military did not have the fighter aircraft or interceptor missiles capability in place to take down a spy balloon belonging to our most aggressive and dangerous adversary, or more disturbingly, U.S. political leadership lacked the resolve to take on China and potentially upset Beijing before Secretary Blinken could rack up his photo op in Beijing. China has shown the American people, other rogue actors, and our friends and allies that there is no one who will defend us against a hostile enemy that intruded into our country's sovereign airspace. We deserve better and must demand better from our nation's leaders. What do you think of that? I think it's a bunch of malarkey. You know, everyone tells one side of the story. Okay. The United States fly over other countries all the time with when they used to deploy the SR-71, and of course now the U-2 Golden Dragon, and the Dragonfly. Which doesn't the SR-71 still fly higher and faster than the U-2? They don't use it no more. They use another instrument. They use they use another plane. What are they using they now? What they say? What plane are they using now? This U-2, this U-2 Dragon Lady, I think they call it. So why would you use satellites the U2 can have... be moved? Right. Huh? Why would you or use satellites? Why would you use balloons? <laughs> so to see the balloon. No, I thought a sense to me, and I'll tell you why. Because China is always probing, always trying to make the United States look weak. So in other words, they're demanding that Brandon do their bidding because they basically bought Brandon, but at the same time they want to show the American public, that Brandon is not an effective leader so that we don't trust our own government. This is, this is fascinating to me. I think it makes a lot of sense that they would do that because why would you send a balloon, especially at an altitude where it was visible? See, this is, you know, it's a story that's not being told. This is part of the story that's not being told. I don't think it's malarkey at all. I think it's accurate. I think, she, I think she's right on that this is intentionally a Chinese mission to show Americans that, you know, they, our government won't even defend us against a balloon, let alone a hypersonic missile. Well, so now, here's the thing, Greg. Huh? Uh-huh. Your government won't defend you from people coming across the southern border. Right. That's more dangerous than a balloon. This balloon stuff is a bunch of malarkey. No, the Average psychology. Is, it's Louis not the balloon. It's the psychology of the. It's the psychology of the balloon. That's the real thing. It's not the balloon itself. The balloon itself is just a is just a tool of the operation. It's not the operation. The operation is a psychological operation. That's the part I find fascinating. Well, it, what happens when the Goodyear blimp flies over? Oh, my goodness. Here come the Chinese. No. No, and I don't see Chinese that at all. Chinese can get all the information they want. Chinese can get all the information they want from watching a Jesse Ventura documentary. <laughs> Which one? He's been running around looking for tunnels and that. All in the Ozarks. Oh, yeah, I've got the in Missouri. Yeah. And why, why is he looking for tunnels? Because the deep state, the days have got tunnels in the Ozark Mountains that go from one part of, uh, from here to there where they can uh, drive trucks and all that stuff. So, you know, it's, it's a secret mission, a secret operation that's going on. 
It's no secret if we know about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, you're yeah, right. Again, again, let me <laughs> let me let me give you the let's put this to the logic and reason filter because uh, I know Josie gets really upset when she brings us a story that she's absolutely convinced is true, and and we have to put it through the logic and reason filter, and then all of a sudden all these holes pop up. So why would we do it? How expensive would it be? What would the environmentalists say? I mean, there's a ton of questions, but I want to hold off on that. I've got an article here that I think you're going to find interesting. And uh, this is from, this is a, uh, one of my Facebook friends sent me this uh, from February 15th. So it's eh, a couple of weeks ago. And it's from the American Thinker. It's written by Matt Cain. And it says, the DeSantis, uh, is, uh, the DeSantis is Trump without the baggage crowd is for rude awakening. So the idea is DeSantis is Trump without the baggage. So let me go through some of this here. Um, because I don't believe DeSantis is running. I don't think he's going to announce. I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think so. I think he's, a, or if he does announce, he's arranged with Trump that this is, this is the artificial controversy to draw attention away from Trump himself. You know, and I think that the, the biggest people behind DeSantis are Democrats because they don't want Trump under any circumstances because they know he's going to drain the swamp this time. So the article says, since President Trump left office, many of the, quote, trustworthy media outlets have created a talking point that is now held by a minority, yet noticeable number of conservative Americans. The belief is DeSantis is Trump without the baggage. This group supported President Trump's policies and felt he did a tremendous job as president, but now feel the baggage that came with Trump would not be present with Ron DeSantis. Many have taken this a step further and believe this baggage would give DeSantis or others a better chance of winning in the general election against the Democrat nominee than President Trump. Of course, I don't believe this for a second. I mean, you know, I'm, I, I know what this person is pointing out, but um, I think they're right on. But I think the people that believe that DeSantis is Trump without the baggage are sadly and sorely mistaken. He says the first and most important angle to consider when analyzing this stance is the present reality of American elections. President Trump's seemingly insurmountable election night leads in 2020, which were significantly larger than his leads throughout the night in 2016, somehow vanished into slim Biden victories. In other words, without our corruption election systems being corrected, it doesn't matter who runs since the winner is predetermined. Trump didn't cost us. The election was stolen. But for the sake of the discussion, we'll say that our elections are free and fair. Despite his alleged loss, Trump gained more than 12 million votes from 2016 and likely more, the largest increase in vote total for any sitting president in American history and the highest vote total by any president candidate ever, aside from Brandon's highly, my words, highly suspicious 81 million votes that same year. So the media manufactured Trump baggage has not had any negative impact on voter enthusiasm for Trump. That's because we know they're lying, right? Based on his vote increasing by millions, you could make the argument the baggage led to more people rallying to support him. Prior to 2016, conservative voter enthusiasm in the previous two presidential elections was abysmal. John McCain and Mitt Romney both lost convincingly to Barack Obama, which should have been impossible given Barack Obama's, you know, uh, communist leanings. Anyway, that's my words, right? This is Barack Obama due in large part to their politically correct, low energy approach to politics when conservatives were looking for the exact opposite. The Trump baggage, and that's in quotes, can be summarized as a combination of this brash style of politics and the never ending war raged on him by the media. Ironically, Trump's style was the change America sought and his exposure of the corrupt media is what has kept him so popular. In essence, Trump is a product of the corrupt environment the media has created and their hatred 
towards him makes him more popular. The Trump baggage is what we what was needed to move the needle for needle enough for Trump to win states such as Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania that Republicans had not won since the 1980s. So, DeSantis, let me just give you a little bit more here. Most of the baggage from the Trump presidency was completely manufactured by media with the purpose of doing exactly what it is accomplishing to an extent now. Diminished enthusiasm for Trump at any cost, no facts needed. The goal was never to prove any of the false accusations against Trump. They knew this was impossible. They created them. Instead, they wanted to spread false accusations enough that people either began to believe them or became so fatigued with the smears that they would abandon him. The Russia collusion hoax, both impeachments, the Stormy Daniels saga, and the now-concluded Trump tax returns are just a few of the examples of baggage that, in reality, were purely propaganda exercises to take him down. If there were anything of substance that could truly take down Trump, it would have been revealed long ago. Let me see if I can skip down a bit and get to the, 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 the important part here. Pretty long article. Uh, let's start here. With the current fragile state of because Johnson's coming on in a few minutes. With the current fragile state of foreign affairs, Americans now more than ever want to be sure the commander in chief is not being influenced by any foreign countries, such as is happening now. Right? The American, excuse me, the American perception of the Russia-Ukraine conflict is unique because while the majority of Americans oppose Putin and Russia. Support for the U.S. to continue sending money to Ukraine is also dwindling, which is why, De- why DeSantis' GOP opponents will undoubtedly question him on his press secretary, Christina Pusha, who recently had to register as a foreign agent because of her paid work with, of all people, a Ukrainian politician named Mikhail Shakashvili. That name sounds familiar. Uh, she also shared a tweet in February of 2022 stating she supported Zelensky was in Ukraine when Zelensky won the primary, and that a big party ensued. While U.S. support for Ukraine heavily outweighs support for Russia, having close ties to a foreign agent of a country the U.S. continues endlessly uh, sending amounts of money to will certainly create baggage within the GOP should DeSantis choose to enter the race. In other words, he has baggage. DeSantis apparently has a ton of baggage. He, the, the final bit, it says, try picturing the amount of baggage that would come with accusations of DeSantis, oh yeah, here we go, drinking and partying with his own female students, that's a previous part of the article, alleged firsthand accounts about his role in inhumane forms of torture that violate international law, that was in there too, uh, his former press secretary and current rapid response director registering as a foreign agent, and recently having warmonger John Bolton promote him. Again, allegations are all that is needed to create baggage, not facts. The baggage potential for DeSantis makes Trumps look like peanuts. So if DeSantis does run, those pulling for him solely for baggage purposes will be severely disappointed. When DeSantis is faced with his own, two things are possible. He could cave and apologize under pressure, which is the opposite of what conservatives want, or the more likely scenario would be him refuting, defending, or denying the attacks, which is exactly what President Trump has always done. But whichever response occurs, there is no scenario where DeSantis would be baggage-free. So the DeSantis is Trump without the baggage group must shift the question they ask themselves to this. Which of the two is better equipped to withstand the attacks? There's no doubt the answer to that question is Donald Trump. DeSantis is good, but Trump is great. That's the difference. So uh, I think uh, you want to talk about malarkey. And then a couple of minutes before uh, um, Jonathan gets I think the real malarkey. They try to create more baggage on DeSantis by saying he wants to deny blacks from having black history, which is totally untrue. 
Uh huh. Remember the remember the the, the bill they called the say gay bill, which wasn't it was, it was never mentioned. Mm-hmm. You know, it was down the in Washington, is- Tallahassee uh, Capitol <clears throat> with uh, Al Sharpton. Mm-hmm. You know the funny thing about black history, if it's presented in the books according to data, a lot of these kids, these black kids in these districts can't read at the high school level. Yeah, that's crazy. There's no excuse for that. You know, but that's that's it seems that the emphasis should make sure that mm-hmm. those that's gonna be receiving the knowledge can be able to use the knowledge, the information, the material. Also, you got to remember, too, that uh, Eric, uh, Attorney General A.G. Garland's son-in-law is involved with a company that creates uh, critical race theory material. Oh, I've heard that. So, yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember that came up in the news. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, here's the thing. We've talked about this before. The real racism in America, the real racism is the treatment of black Americans to substandard educations, substandard public housing, substandard economics, you know, and venture capital and the ability to start businesses. It is a permanent, I mean, the, the segregation hasn't ended. It's just changed form. The new segregation is segregating black Americans to these horrible conditions uh, in cities run by black Americans. See, that's the irony. This is how they get away with it. So, they, so, so here's a question, right? Yeah. I, mean, I just thought of this now. Are black American mayors, city council members, police chiefs, are they actually cover for the white leftist Marxists that still believe blacks are inferior people and that, but are using black mayors, city councils, and police chiefs as cover so they don't look racist for their racist policies against black Americans in the schools and public housing and, and in uh, the economy? Maybe you should better describe it. You should, okay. it should be American I thought that was pretty good, though. Right. Say it again? It should be American blacks rather than black Americans. Okay, good. Good point. You're right. Well, if the American so, it just so happens to be designated with a mm-hmm. generic term, it's all the time shifting from here to there. Mm-hmm. They're American blacks or whatever the term is going to be next week. But is that not the ultimate racism? You know, I mean, uh, it was the Democrat Party under the Confederacy that started slavery. You know, it was the Democrat Party, the leftists. Slavery is a leftist institution because it, 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 you have to have government well, control it, to keep people slaves, right? Well, really it wasn't because slavery was a business. So anyone could have slaves. Yeah. It didn't have to be part of the Democratic Party. And you don't pay a payroll tax on them. <laughs> Sorry. Don't pay no payroll tax on them. Yeah, no payroll tax on slaves, yeah. Um, but this is interesting. But this, to me, is the real racism. So people, so racism is actually a cover for racism. Accusing people falsely of racism, in other words, conservatives, you know, white guys like me, you know, of racism just because I'm a white guy. That's a cover. The real racism and systemic is... racism lie within the media. You know, you were talking about those media. Who's behind all those media sources? MS, MBN, all those. Aren't they all... Are controlled by a particular entity, a concentration of entities. Which one? Well, I think there's six companies that control the media. Uh, one of them is like the Rupert Murdoch, who has Fox News and some other things. I think doesn't Westinghouse own NBC? Some of the, like the large, there's some large corporate owners of of media, or NBC. One of the, Jonathan's online. I'll get him in a second. He'll he'll tell us. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's you know one of the few media outlets that's not corporate controlled is us. Do you think I could say what I said on the daily? Sit on the board. What's that now? 
And if CCP sits on the boards of Westinghouse and those names that you never would imagine, Disney that owns a lot of media. Oh, Disney owns media too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. We have to do well, the research on it. Well, yeah, take a look at it because it's really interesting. I want to run something by Jonathan before we get to So we're, we're, we're into our legal report now. And Jonathan, we had an idea Friday. I don't know if you heard about this, but we were talking with Derek, who does our financial report. Uh, Derek's from Edward Jones. And we we're talking about this idea of, of AI, of artificial intelligence and robots and how everybody's worried about losing their jobs. And so we came up with the idea that if a robot is intelligent enough, if it uses artificial intelligence, it should be reclassified as an employee and the company should pay a payroll tax on it. So there's no financial incentive necessarily to replace a person. And I'm not saying for all machines, you know, I, I love technology, not a problem, but specifically for those machines where they're, where they're using the artificial intelligence, you know, enough that it's, it's actually, it could be classified as an employee. Now, a question for you. I know you haven't had a chance to think about this. I just sprung this on you. Where would we do that? Would it be in the IRS code? Would it be, how do, how do we, the, the employment, how do we classify artificially intelligent robots? And that includes self-driving trucks, as Pianchi mentioned earlier. Anything that's intelligent enough that uses artificial intelligence, how can we classify that as an employee and put a payroll tax on them? What do you think, Jonathan? <clears throat> yeah, it's, um, it's a little bit odd because, of course, you're not paying the uh, uh, you're not paying the employee taxes. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. It it it, it, so, it sounds it sounds very 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 reasonable. I think um, I'm getting a background noise. You, you've got something's feeding me back. Are you? Do you have us on a player or something, or, or is it Pianchi has us on? Yeah, hold on. That means okay. We're getting the we're getting a delayed uh, delayed response here. Oh, I'm having technical difficulties here. Let me get to the control room. Yeah. There. Okay. So. Um, oh, that's better. Uh huh. Thank you. Yeah, I was listening to uh, WMAL in in Washington D.C. Um, the um, it, it, it's complicated. Of course, why wouldn't it be? Uh, but um, isn't everything yeah, we talk about <laughs> everything we talk about well, complicated? But, but also because it's it's you know it's artificial intelligence and taking over, so you know it's <clears throat> obviously it's going to be somewhat complicated. Um, but um, no, it sounds like a very interesting idea. Um, yeah, uh, the if uh, you got a robot like an Amazon that's packing boxes. And that robot is working 24 hours. That's three human shifts. So it should be the equivalent of what three human beings, workers, would have to pay or be charged payroll taxes, Social Security, FICA, federal unemployment, and anything else that they would be required to pay, local and state. And the company still will be coming out ahead because they don't have to pay vacation. They don't have to have a workers' comp on the on the uh, the robot. They don't have to have a, a maternity leave. They have to pay. So what's now that the companies are really killing you? They, and then the communities are having to pick up their burden because when you take people out of the workplace that was paying taxes to go for services, especially services in the form of social services, well, then the services continue on. The cost is just thrown on to those people who are left working. Now they're paying more. 
And we're going to pay so more, you, too, you, when you the government loses money. Hmm? You would tax the employee, the employer, as if, um, as if an employee was earning the money. Mm-hmm. We're classifying exactly. artificial intelligent robots as employees. How do we do that? That's my question. But the thing is, the, the problem I have with that is that you're not actually um, paying the robot. So it's, mm-hmm. I mean, the way it is now is if you're paying the um, the person, mm-hmm. you get you tax. Oh no! This would be a different kind of tax. No, it's not. It's not a straight relationship. In other words, we're not. We're not saying that it is a flesh and blood human being that's going to take money, go home, and and pay their bills. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that it is acting as a person. It is acting as an employee because it's artificially intelligent. It's taking a step beyond just a regular machine that you would use, like a printing press or a or a bottling capping thing or something like that. A regular machine on an assembly line. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about machines that actually use artificial intelligence. I want to reclassify those as employees instead of uh, robots, instead of machines. It's got nothing to do with the amount of money. You still need an employee to work. Mm -hmm. But you can have a whole warehouse of robots, which you do in some operations. And what were individual employees, human beings making salary, wages, and paying taxes toward the community for road bridges and whatever, schools, they go now. So that compensate, that missing uh, revenue should be picked, be charged off to their robot in a similar mm-hmm. fashion as if it was. Right, but you'd have, to, you'd have to tax what they call imputed income, which is, we, you know, um, we pretend that, the the robots are getting paid and then because like i say you're not actually going to send a paycheck to the robot um but uh but it could be done like in virginia for small businesses well any actually any business um there there are there are equipment taxes if you have if you have business property um in virginia you pay you pay a tax on on the business property so it's not a it's not a big stretch from that to uh, to tax robots. Um, you know, for example, if you have computers, uh, you know, tables, copiers, um, things things that are not meant necessarily electronic, but just uh, um, you know, lots of files, lots of desks and shelves and everything like that, you pay a tax over a certain minimum to. Uh, to the county in Virginia in which in, in which this stuff is located. Hmm. So it's like I say, it's not a huge leap to say that if you have a business robot, you're gonna you're gonna be paid for you're gonna be taxed for it. Now, you know, people will scream bloody murder about it, but Well, I didn't say it was easy. Nothing we do is easy here. <laughs> but yeah, but I think it's a fascinating right. idea. You know who you know who'd support us actually? The unions. <laughs> like like the Teamsters. Yeah. Uh, they would be right behind this. And this proves once again that Action Radio, we, we're not a Republican, we're not a conservative organization, we're a, a freedom organization. And I don't want the government right. coming after us for more tax money because uh, these corporations are suddenly, you know, I don't want them saying, well, there's no money in Social Security because all the corporations are using robots. Okay, fine. In that case, these, we just, re, I want, it, it's not maybe so much an IRS, it's not so much a tax bill as it is an employer bill or employee bill. We're reclassifying 
robots that use intelligence. In other words, if this machine is making decisions, if this machine is using judgment, if it's using artificial intelligence, it should be reclassified as an employee as opposed to a machine that just does a function automatically because it's, you know, it's, it's programmed well, to do it that. That's a different on, thing. Yeah. It should be based on the fact that it put a human being out of work that was paying taxes. See, that's the part. It this is the part that gets messy. That's the part that gets liberal, that gets all, all squishy socialist on us. That's the part I'm trying to avoid because I don't want the left running with this and then all of a sudden saying that, okay, anytime a worker is displaced by technology, there should be a corporate tax because they're looking for ways to do a corporate tax. So I'm trying to safeguard this, make it limited in what we're doing. Well, it should be. If, if, you have, okay. uh, if, you write artificial, if you write programs that's designed to put workers out of the work. If you write a program that's designed to put operators out of work, then that company should be made to pay a tax which would be equivalent to the employee tax that was being generated and paid to the municipalities and the IRS and so on and so on. Because if you don't, pretty soon you have these demands by citizens with no income coming from how they were used to be derived from. And it's been, you have a hell of a mess. Yeah, but we can get rid of 5 million illegal aliens and do the same thing. You know, I mean, so there's, there's a bunch of ways to do it. Now, I really want to keep this – now, you might write a companion bill. You might want to write a different bill. The bill I want uh, is very specific in that it's for machines that use intelligence. Like, I'll give you a perfect example. If an airplane is self-flying, all right. It starts its engines, you know, it, it taxis to the runway, it takes off, it flies, it lands, it, it docks at the gate. That should be taxed for a payroll tax. But I would not tax a, an airline for using an autopilot that maintains heading and altitude or auto land. See, that's the difference. The, for me, the difference no, because is the you, where it's, still has to have an employee there to set it and monitor it. Okay, no, all right, so, so this, this is where you and I differ. This is, this is a, and it's a very fine line, and I'll get Johnson's opinion on this. I'm trying to do it strictly where it's a machine that's using intelligence, that's making decisions, that has artificial intelligence. That's where I want to classify it as an employee, not because it's replacing a person, but because it's acting as an employee more than it's, the, more than it's a machine. That's where, it, and you, well, and I, you know, really, that's I the difference I'm making. It, it should be a separation between robots and artificial. They both accomplish the same thing, but robots are, are programmed with machine language, and artificial intelligence is a whole different uh, yeah, ballpark. It's, it's one, so yeah, it, that's where I want to draw the line. That's where I draw the line. Once it gets into AI, once the, once the, uh, the, the device is smart enough to make decisions where it's actually using artificial intelligence to do stuff, that's where, that's where it becomes an employee. That's a, that should be that should be that that also should be included, but it's different from robots. Because robots swing around, grab something, turn around, and put it down. Swing so around, grab something. That's turn a machine. Okay, that's 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 different. That's a machine. That's not an artificial intelligence device. Okay, yeah, I want to I want to hold up here. I want to get Jonathan's opinion. Then I want to move on to all the things that he wants to talk about, which are like four or five of them. <laughs> so we'll get to that. Jonathan, how would you? Where where do you stand on, on what we've talked about here? Well, I don't have an opinion. I don't. I don't know. I mean, the hard okay. part is. Um, I mean, you know, like I say, can 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 you tax a certain kind of robotic? You you can if if it, if people don't raise you know scream bloody murder about it, um, and uh, you know campaign donors stop it and things like that. But yeah, I, I mean, I I don't know what to say about it. It's like it's just um complicated. Um, I would hope that in that case that the people 
the human employees are actually using intelligence. Um, that they're, um, I mean, you're saying that uh, if the if the robots think, then they're like people. But I, I hope that with our education system, that people are thinking. Um, well, it's, it's a mess. I mean, this is definitely a mess, I and mean, there's not an easy way out of this. It's just, you know, I, I just think it's interesting. It'd be worth exploring. Sometimes yeah. we write bills. I, th- I think sometimes our bills are as much to generate debate. Uh, it's like people who run for president who are never going to win, like Pat Buchanan. He was never going to win the presidency, but he changed the debate. He brought up all kinds of things. He moved the debate, yeah. you know, in huge ways. And that in itself is an you'd accomplishment. Probably, if you did a bill like that, you'd probably get a t- uh, attention. No, um, I'm sure I would. But, uh, okay. but okay. I, mean, I tend to think, like, for example, self-driving cars. Mm-hmm. You know, I assume that they're going to go out of business. Because Why? if I if I um, get in a car accident, mm-hmm. and the only you know typically the only amount of money that the other side is going to get is up to the limit of my insurance. Okay. If if car if a if a self driving car gets in an accident, there's no limit because you're going after you're going after the manufacturer. So, so lawsuits against uh, accidents by self-driving cars could be unlimited. That's really interesting. So, yeah, that's a good point. So I, you know, I, I think that, that been, this fad is going to uh, <clears throat> is going to uh, burn itself out. Um, but anyway, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it except okay. you could try it. Yeah. All right. Let's hold up on this now. I've got a couple of different things here. I've got Russia who's blaming us now because of the Seymour Hirsch article, where, where could take their lawsuit against the, the Brandon insurrection? And Ohio, we've got the worst environmental disaster in, I don't know, 50 years, since Love Canal maybe. And, and uh, Brandon's off to, to Kiev to give away more of our money. There's two huge yeah, things. Yeah, so, so um, it was announced that Joe Biden was going to um, Poland. Mm-hmm. And... You may know that, you know, that, that the, the Secret Service does not like to announce details of presidential travel. Mm-hmm. So it's not Unless unusual it's that it's, it's... Yeah. Well, okay. Um, hmm. So, um, so uh, um, that could mean many things. But um, the, um, so, uh, they, uh, um, so the thing is, we knew they were going to Poland... Mm-hmm. And then overnight he went to uh, to Kiev in Ukraine, mm-hmm. which is technically a war zone. And um, well, as much as, as Trump going to Iraq, uh, his plane could have been shot down because um, you know there is an active war zone. Apparently, Russia is changing its tactics and going to start a uh, five hundred thousand man. Um, offensive on the anniversary of the of the uh, invasion, that sort of thing. Um, but anyway, mm-hmm. so he went to Kiev, which is which was fairly risky. Um, and uh, if whatever, well, maybe not if he owns it. He probably has a lot of friends there, like a lot of mafia, a lot of bankers, no, it's, a lot it's of risky because the Russians. Oh, that's the true. Russians yeah. could see a U.S. plane. I mean, I guess the Russians. I guess there's, there's no way for, for them to miss the fact that it is, in fact, U.S. 1, yeah, Air Force mm-hmm. 1. 
Um, so, um, you know, I guess they're not going to mistake it for, you know, a resupply flight or something like that. Or an airline. Uh, but, I think the airlines are flying in right now. So, yeah. Yeah. So, but the thing is, so, so there's that. Now, maybe, I don't know if, I don't know if Joe Biden had to take a quick trip to get the classified documents out of Delaware, um, <laughs> maybe drop them off in, uh, in, uh, uh, in, in, you know, a, a way station to, uh, to their uh, masters in China. Um, but, um, or if he needed to pick up a check, maybe, I don't know. Uh, get but, instructions. Uh, his, uh, <laughs> Either get yeah, or give instructions to somebody. Yeah. yeah. His 10%. Uh, but, but in any event, um, he's, so he's going there. And, and like I say, I think, I, I think it's going to be fairly ugly. It will be remembered as a as a dark spot because mm-hmm. apparently, fairly shortly, according to analysts, that you know Russia is going to clobber Ukraine, mm-hmm. and that it won't look so good. And again, I'm not, you know, I've been both to Russia, to Russia and Ukraine, and you know, you know, I don't wish any harm on either one of them, but. Um, uh, it doesn't look it doesn't look pretty. Um, as I was saying, I, I've thought a lot about what you know. Trump, what Trump could have done is is he would have kept this from happening in the first place. But what would uh-huh. what could he do to undo it and you know make it get us stop? Out of NATO. And that'd be real hard. Get us out of NATO huh? would be the first thing. Defund NATO. Get us out of NATO. Get Ukraine out of NATO. Get uh, have Eastern Europe form their own little independent union. Uh, this is an Eastern, which I was talking to Pianki about this earlier, and we've talked before. This is an Eastern European Russian problem. This has nothing to do with Western Europe. It really doesn't. Germany shouldn't be there with their, their, their Nazi symbol tanks, you know, the Iron Cross on those tanks. That's a horrible image. Russians are like going crazy over that. That was just stupid. You know, we've got F-22s in Poland. I just posted a video to, to the Action Radio group. I mean, they're doing everything possible to provoke this war. But as I, as I mentioned in the first hour of the show, this isn't a war between the United States and Russia. This is a war between Russia, you know, and the, the banker, industrial, military, um, you know, bioweapons, health Nazi, fascist cabal that we have in this country. Those are the people that are at war. American people don't want to be there. There's no reason for us to be there. We, we, we need money for Ohio. And yet, well, you right. look at this, the only people that are benefiting from this, it's, it's the, the, the usual folks, the military, industrial, banking, and now health Nazi, you know, uh, mafia folks, the criminals that are there with the money laundering, and the weapons labs. Those are the people, that, that's, who this, that's who's fighting. It's not us. It's not the American people. We don't support it. Right. And, and, the, um, and the thing is, you can say it after the fact, mm-hmm. but, you know, I saw... During since 1991, um, this attitude of extreme hostility to Russia, um, you know, going going back from our side, the whole the whole time. So I'm not saying this because this happened and we're looking for excuses, but but the uh, the hostility of um, you know uh, of certain of, of a lot of different groups. You know, provoking this war. I mean, yes, they uh, undeniably Putin crossed the border and started a war, and that's terrible. And I would love to see it come to an end. But I also watched the West spend spend 30 years throwing rocks at Russia, 
you know, you, if you live in a village with, you know, a bear in the woods, you don't throw rocks at the bear in the woods. Um, Especially the bear leaves you alone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like a beehive. Yeah. You know, as long as you leave the bees alone, they're not going to come sting you. But if you go bash the hive around, what do you think is going to happen? Well, here's the, here's the right. point, though, is that, that NATO, you know, what Trump would have done. In fact, remember when Dr. Peter Pry was on, when he was alive, he told us very clearly on a show, I've got it, the six points that Putin was asking for. The first one, don't put Ukraine in NATO which makes perfect sense. NATO, A, should not exist anymore. These countries should defend themselves. And B, if it does exist, it, only, it should only be the original countries um, in the West, Germany, France, maybe Spain, but Germany, France, and England. That should be NATO. Everybody else is just hanging on. You know, so it, Germany, France, and England, the three major powers in Europe, should be NATO. And, and if they want to do it, then they can work out their own defense. They don't need us. But we should be out. If we weren't there, if the money wasn't there, if NATO wasn't trying to take over all of Europe, then this wouldn't be an issue. See, I, here's a question for you, too, that, that, that's kind of interesting, I, I was thinking of, is that the left loved the Soviet Union. They're not crazy about the Russian Federation. Why is that? See, Russia loves, the left loved communism. And, and Putin's not communist. Well, I don't know how much communist, I don't know what's that. Well, what's actually going on there? What, what is the Russian Federation now? Is it a kleptocracy? Is it a criminal organization? Is it a, a dictatorship, you know, that's, that's uh, you know, not straight communism? What is the Russian Federation? How, how are they running their country now? Yeah, it's a, um, it's a strong man. It's like all the fake democracies around the world, like in, in Central America and everything, which claim to be democracies, but they're not. Okay. Um, and... Um, but, but I, I'd go back a little further because, like I say, when I was, you know, I, I my first jobs in Washington before I went to the Department of Education were um, supporting Re- President Reagan's um, strategic defense initiative and military defense. And John Clapper okay. taught me a lot. And <clears throat> so um, when the wall fell, mm-hmm. all of Russia, I mean, because remember, the people who, who defied the KGB, they put their lives in their hands and their, and their families' lives in their hand to, um, for freedom. They mm-hmm. wanted to be like, um, they, they wanted to be, they wanted nothing more than to be like America. <clears throat> and then we ignored them. They felt like they risked their lives right. um, for freedom under the assumption that we were going to be there to help them. And we really broke their heart. So they wanted to be a democracy, um, although they didn't understand it. It's like people over there would say um, they think communism is when the government does everything for you and it doesn't work. They think uh, America, uh, they think democracy is when the government does everything for you and it does work. They didn't quite get the concept. Um, So... um, so, um, you know, but so they then sort of, um, you know, deteriorated back in, you know, because remember, Ron, um, Bill Clinton actively intervened in the Russian presidential election. I saw it. And um, what did he do? So and who was running? Who, tell me that story, because I don't know if people have that. I'd love to they, have that on They intervened on to... Um, they intervened to get, you know, to, to reelect Boris Yeltsin with massive amounts of money 
and dipl- diplomacy and interference because they, they didn't want Russia to slip back to the hardliners. Because there was a hmm. serious threat that, um, you know, the hardline communists would, would win election and take back control. Hmm. And so they wanted to, and the problem was is that, is that Boris Yeltsin was a, was a complete drunken fool <laughs> and completely worthless. So yep. we backed the worst possible candidate instead of instead of one who who was uh, who was legitimate who was viable and and so you know we made i mean there were some really good candidates although they didn't they were not widely known as you know they had they'd have to be built up Mm -hmm. but we didn't do that so um so anyway so we 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 not only intervened everything that we we blame Russia for doing to us, we did to them. And we also did it by, ba- by backing a terrible candidate. Um, so then after that, you know, after the Russians figured out that we weren't going to help them, we, were gonna, we weren't going to do a dang thing um, that they thought we were going to do to help them transition. Um, you know, they were left with, you know, star- and, and, the, and the economy kept getting worse and worse and worse. People were starving everything like that, that gave the opening for those same hardliners to gain ground. So the very thing that we were trying to avoid, we caused. I mean, not not caused completely, but we helped cause. Um, Mm -hmm. So the hardliners, like Putin, started to gain ground. He kind of was best because he was was a communist, he was an un, what do they call it, unreconstructed, um, communist, but he, but he wasn't, um, he wasn't so conspicuous as to be, you know, in your face about it. So it went back to, you know, to stress, basically strongman. It's not, he's, I mean, he's not, it's not communist. You know, everyone is saying that, you know, that the, the Russia today, the Russian Federation, which is the part of the Soviet Union that is Russia, not um, not the other not Republicans. Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, all those other stands, right? Right. Now the Soviet right. Union included all of those. The Soviet Union created Ukraine as a quote unquote republic, like you know the Republic of North Korea or the Republic of China, <laughs> okay. um, in order to in order to facilitate their idea that they wanted to grow the Soviet Union and spread it around the world. So they made mm-hmm. Russia and Ukraine and some other major uh, provinces into equal partners and then started adding up, adding more and more and more because they wanted to just set a precedent that they basically, they try to take over the whole world. Um, but anyway, so, so what we have right now is basically a strongman, you know, fake democracy. But so the, so the left, of course, you know, the, the, so Russia has rejected what the left supports, communism. Hmm. So that's one, one reason why they hate, they hate Russia is because, is because Russia was communist and they left. Yes, that's um, what I'm saying. The, the left loves communism. They want to bring it here. And when I think Glasnost, we, we missed the Gorbachev story. So Gorbachev and Reagan, Gorbachev, remember when we had the Gorbachev Center in San Francisco? Not that he did much, but the point was that Russia was already breaking up during the Reagan administration. So yeah. now, 
And so my question now is, I mean, is there private industry in Russia? I mean, I don't know much about it. Um, do they, do oh, yeah. people can, are there property rights? Do people, can people keep their property? Is this somewhat of a free, not, a, not necessarily a free market, but uh, like a partially free market? I mean, how much does the government actually control in daily life in Russia? No, in theory, whatever. In theory, it is a completely free market. Um, it is not, it is not communism. The government does not own, own things. The problem is it's, it's tremendously corrupt. Every corner so, of the kleptocracy. Is that, what it is, like a, is that what they call it, kleptocracy? Is yeah, because, because what happened yeah. was, mm-hmm. and, and, and of course the um, um, Ukraine was probably the most corrupt part of the Soviet Union. Because okay. they Why had, is that? Um, partly because they had more resources. They had more natural resources. And they were more of uh, like the Wild West. I mean, Ukraine literally means frontier hmm. or, or borderlands. Okay. And, and so they were, it's like, you know, a little farther away from authority. So they were more, I mean, it, it's hard reading. It's a difficult reading. But if you read Soviet Mafia by, um, what's his name? Victor, uh, uh, um, oh, shoot. I keep getting his name. His name's thing. But it's, it's a hard, difficult read, but it's very eye-opening. This was a, huh. a Soviet journalist who wrote about how the system really works, um, you know, from from within there, and he and he describes how, um, you know, how the most corruption, yeah, Arkady Vaxberg, you know, that Ukraine and like Kazakhstan, the other persons were the most corrupt. So what happened is you had under under um, communism, you'd have the government would own a factory. Let's say there's a car factory mm-hmm. and nobody owns it. The gov- you know, the government supposedly owns it or nobody owns it really. Mm-hmm. It's for the people. And let's say you're the manager in charge and suddenly the whole system collapses and there is no more Soviet Union. So technically you still don't own it, but you're the only person who controls it. So all okay. these assets got got given away, you know, people would just sell it to themselves or sell it to oligarchs. So overnight, you have these people with no legal right, just looting the, looting the whole country. <laughs> okay. This is and interesting. so they have, they have, it is. So they have oligarchs, fabulously wealthy, um, by, by simply stealing what, what actually, what was just left unattended, I mean, the thing is, they were they were the official manager, and so nobody else had any any stronger claim to it. And so, um, so uh, you know that that's where it became massively corrupt. There are people who, um, mm-hmm. you know, you know. So in theory, the the economic system of Russia is as free enterprise as we are. In reality, it's not because it's just stunningly corrupt. So it's, so it's almost say, like anarchy. They they went from tyranny to anarchy, and then they they, cut, they got sort of an order. Uh, but it's it's basically a criminal enterprise more than anything else. Is what it sounds like. Which then explains. Okay, so that explains why our left, the globalist left, the world government left, the United Nations left. You know, all these different leftist organizations went to China because Russia wasn't communist for them enough anymore. 
And it seems like China rose, the Chinese Communist Party rose as the, as the Soviet Union became the Russian Federation and China got into the World Trade Organization and China was boosted and we bought all the Chinese goods and they were allowed to undercut us and the presidents allowed them to bring in substandard goods by the trillions of dollars worth. And that's what we built China with, by allowing them to do things that we wouldn't allow any other country to do, to bring in substandard goods at substandard prices uh, and undercut all our domestic industry. I mean, no country does that unless they're doing it on purpose. So it's, it's almost like China was the last really communist country left. And so they get, that's why they're getting all the power now, because the left loves communism. And the Soviet Union was no it's longer country, communist. I, don't, I, don't know. I mean, I mean, the, um, the um, quality of products, I mean, the Russian people were, are, are, are very well educated. Um, you know, if you, there's one guy we called Andre the Bookman in this church in Latvia. Like every time you talk to him, uh-huh. he'd want to tell you about a book he was reading or ask you if you'd read it and why not. And, you know, a lot, a lot of Russians are, you know, they don't just have a PhD. They have two and three PhDs. Wow. in like hard sciences. Um, communism, however, is a catastrophe to management. So they had very well-educated, very knowledgeable people when it came to, <clears throat> you know, to technology and techniques and things like that. But they couldn't, you know, they couldn't put, you know, organize a, a two-car um, funeral because management, I mean, the whole concept of com- communism is that the management is our parasites. Hmm. So, so it's a complete attack on any kind of sense of being management. So they're uncoordinated, disorganized, a mess. Um, but, you know, and, and so I can't say that, the, you know, that they're, they're that great, but, they, but they're, if we had gone to, to Russia, and I, I spent some time trying to write up um, proposals for funding uh-huh. For, for companies in Latvia. Nobody was interested. You know, this is at a time when if you, if you had opened a, a, a chain of lemonade stands in China, they would have thrown money at you. <laughs> but, but, but for some pretty quality uh, projects, and you know, I only took the, the, the cream of the crop, nobody cared. Nobody was interested in, in say, Latvia or Estonia, which the, the Baltic states are were more advanced because they're close to Sweden, Norway, right. Finland. And so, well, in fact, people would know, let me, let me quickly say, no, people ahead, would okay. note that in Estonia, under, under, you know, we never recognized it was part of the Soviet Union, but they did, um, hmm. that <clears throat> um, there was a part of the Estonian coast, and Estonia is a beautiful country, but they were taken over you know, back and forth, even a political football in wars back and forth. Um, they, um, there's an area where um, radio broadcasts from, I think, Finland reach um, Estonia. And the languages are similar enough that they can understand. So that you can, and they said, you know, eat for, long before the Soviet Union fell, you could see the difference. When they, when they ha- were exposed to Scandinavian ideas and news, you could see a, a dramatic difference in the level of, of, of achievement and, and sophistication 
and, and everything like that between the, the, the areas that were listening to Scandinavian radio and those that were not. Well, freedom works. Uh, you know, freedom works, and yeah. it's a different attitude. If you, if you, all you see is communism and you're trying, all you see is, is corruption and you're trying to operate within a corrupt environment, you're going to find, you're going to try to be the most corrupt because that's the successful way to do it. But when you find out that freedom is there and there's another option, it totally opens up whole new things. The reason I wanted to jump in here is that because Latvia, we have listeners in Latvia. We used to have listeners in Lithuania. They popped off the map, but they might come back. And the most recent, this is going to be a shocker, Belarus has been on the map for about a month or so now. So we, we, we're making some inroads. And mo- I was talking to Janky about this earlier. Most of Eastern Europe, the only country that doesn't listen to us, the major Eastern European country, is the Ukraine. We got Poland, Czech Republic, Slovakia. Yeah. Slo- we had Slovenia, Romania, Hungary, Bulgaria, Turkey, which is not, which is you know kind of on the chain there. Um, well, give, give Bosnia, Herzegovina. One is that they probably don't have electricity. Well, that could be um, with the attacks from Russia, and also if. If they're connecting through Starlink, I don't know what address that will show up as. You I'm know, not sure. I mean, Elon Block Talk Radio, Block Talk Radio is worldwide. You know, it's like China. Taiwan used to listen to us, but I think Taiwan's being blocked because I think we'd have listeners there otherwise. China's always listened to us, but Taiwan is like I have on the map. Mm-hmm. I have a hotspot, and it 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 shows me being in New York City. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so if they're using Elon Musk Starlink, it might not show up as Ukraine. But they oh. might be listening. Well, hey, listen, uh, uh, Josie has friends there. <laughs> she talked about them, so you know, you never know. We have people in Cuba. We got Cuban listeners. You know, I mean, it's, it's amazing where freedom works and freedom is going to spread. Okay, let's. Uh, we got about. 17, 18 minutes left. Uh, do you have something else on this or, or where are we going to go with Russia? Uh, let, let's get to the main thing. I think we forgot to ask the big, answer the big question, which is where is Russia going to take this? They've got a claim against the United States. Seymour Hersh says, you know, Brandon did it. Germany, German parliament uh, is looking into this as well. So they both have a claim against Brandon's government, not the American people. We didn't do it, but Brandon for blowing up the damn pipeline. So now where does it go? Well, the United States does not has not joined the International Criminal Court. Okay. And, and I, like we sued, <clears throat> we sued China. Um, For what? With Larry Klain over COVID. Oh, okay. And so they, they would either have to go to the UN, and I'm surprised we haven't seen the UN, uh, you know, any speeches before the UN. Like, remember when, when Soviet Union put missiles in Cuba, you know, Adlai Stevenson and the JFK administration, they, they went before and made a big deal before um, the United Nations. We haven't done anything like that. They haven't, you don't see, you don't see um, slow Joe, you know, addressing the United Nations or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But, they, but, they, but all they can do is, is well, they could, they could get a resolution. They could, get, they could probably set up a, a blue ribbon commit, commission, but it's not technically a court. But they could, um, and, you know, they could actually, now, they could actually sue mm-hmm. in a New York, like, say, uh, um, a U.S. courtroom, a federal court. Mm-hmm. They probably wouldn't want to do that and, and subject themselves to counterclaims or um, discovery or things like that. But what they, what they might do is, I don't know what company what Russian interests um, are actually doing the pipeline, 
you know, it may, so they might arrange to have something other than the, other than the government of Russia sue. Oh, in other words, the pipeline company themselves. I forgot what the Russian. Uh, what's the? Remember from Uranium One when Hillary gave away twenty percent of her uranium? Uh, there was a Russian Rostock or something like that. Was like the name of the Russian energy company. Right. So now maybe, they would maybe be. The, I mean, right, and and they would be subject to uh-huh. discovery, but they could also get discovery. Hmm. They could also go on and take a look at the pipeline. <laughs> They could look at the pipeline, look at the, the explosion residue. They could get their own, uh, their own forces down there and their own divers, their own experts. Here's a question I had. I think Germany has a better position because what if Germany says, we're going to kick out your bases, America, Brandon, you're going to lose Ramstein. You're going to lose some of those huge bases. We have a lot of people in Germany. What they say, we're not going to have the U.S. military yeah, anymore. You, you took away our pipeline. What? But I don't know if they're, they're, they're willing to do that. I don't know if they are either. I'm just offering the suggestion. You know, let's get our German listeners to uh, type in on live chat or, or give us a call. But this is interesting. Now, the, the, the uh, Olaf Schultz, remember the article I read uh, last week, that Olaf Schultz is not doing too well because he knew about this ahead of time, apparently, because he had. And so he's being questioned. Well, you know, he's the, uh, the, the president of Germany right now. Yeah, go ahead, Bianchi. One of the reasons I don't want to see Russia suffer anymore because Russia has been a lifeline for African countries, especially those ones that's trying to get rid of France. You know, France was in a war with Algiers and Vietnam trying to hold its sphere of influence and colonization they had, mm-hmm. and it was defeated. And right now, France controls about 14 countries currency in Africa, and many times Russia has come to those countries to help them fight off apartheid, fight off the Rhodesian government, and also fight off other Western powers, in particular France. The United States is not going to do it. So that's interesting. Yep. So, but does Russia, if they help one of these African countries, they then try to impose a Russian system upon them? Or is it out of their benevolence, or is it for trade agreements or money, or why are they doing it? Well, of course, everything has to be paid for. If you borrow money from the World Bank or the IML, if you don't pay the money back, they want to take it out of resources. Is what it just depends on which one. Okay, so what's Russia? Yeah, it depends on who you want to be. What's Russia got this involvement? That's my question. What did Russia got that is involved in? What what does Russia? What does Russia get get out of helping these African countries? Well, it gets a friend. It gets a, it, it, it gets a trade partner. Okay. That you know, makes you sense. had a. Uh, you know, you had in the 19th century. You had a, a French. Uh, I can't think of his name. In, 18, in the 1800s, he said that the higher races have like a higher right over the lower races. They have a duty to civilize the inferior races. Full citizen rights, assimilation were offered, although. In reality, assimilation was all the way receding. So that's the attitude that has been coming out of France. Well, that's French attitude sucks. Like I said, look at Algeria. <laughs> you, know, I mean, you know, there's your there's your perfect example. Or 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 the or the Belgian Congo. Belgium doesn't have a great record there. Or the British or the Dutch. You know, they were fighting the Boer War. You know, South Africa, Zimbabwe is what Rhodesia did, and that was named for Cecil Rhodes. 
was the British industrialist. So there's, there's, a, there's an interesting African history I find uh, quite interesting. Let me, uh, let me let you sum up on that. I want to get to Ohio and what's going to happen with the EPA, because I think this is going to be fascinating, too. Do you, you have another comment on this, Yankee? Right. Mm-hmm. No, no, I'm not sure. Go ahead, Let's get to Ohio, because Brandon's in Kiev. Trump is going to Ohio on Wednesday. You know, this is campaign material. This is, this is it's definitely campaign, but you know what? Trump would go anyway, just because he's Trump. So this is going to be fascinating. Now, did, did Brandon go to Kiev knowing that Trump was going to go to Ohio, and they're going to try to eclipse that trip, which they're not going to do? Probably. Jonathan? Uh, I mean... I mean, because what I when I heard about that, and I heard everybody trying to blame Trump for what? for uh, for the derailment, um, <laughs> I started to do some research. What'd you find? And um, what what were you? Um, so anyway, the um, announced FEMA was not going to cover that. Right, which is a crime it's like, in itself. It's like having, it's like having insurance, and and they say, and then a hurricane comes to, and you say, oh, you, you're not covered for rain, or you're not covered for wind. So FEMA, I think, was saying like, this doesn't fall within our coverage. Then Trump announced he was going. Suddenly, FEMA switched, flip flopped, and started to decide they were gonna they were gonna get involved and help. Mm-hmm. Um, Fascinating. So, so that was interesting. Oh, what I was going to say is I don't know how much time we have here in terms of, but, but, I'll, but let's we go got till, till Dorothy calls. You got about 10 minutes, roughly, give or take. All right. So, so the thing is, is that, so they're saying that the Trump administration repealed a safety rule, deregulated. Now, um, and of course, it's, it's somewhat risky for Trump to go there for that reason, because um, they're going to try to blame him for it. Um, but I, I went, so I went and I started to, to research some things. First of all, let's not forget that the Secretary of Transportation before Pete Buttigieg mm-hmm. was Elaine Chow, mm-hmm. who is the wife of the, the Lord of the Swamp, Mitch McConnell. Mm-hmm. Remember, that, remember, see, the, the thing is, the, the Swamp, the, 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 the D.C. Republican Party and everybody else is trying to get rid of Trump. And they're partly trying to get rid of Trump on the grounds that he has, um, he has baggage. You know, and, and what he's got is wounds. It's like, you know, look, you're bleeding all over the place. Yeah, I know, you just stabbed me. Um, and, and so they're going to, you know, the, as I say, they're going to attack any Republican nominee. But it's interesting that it, you know, the, the D.C. swamp has as much or worse baggage than anybody else. So the baggage here is, is, is Mitch McConnell's wife, Elaine Chow, who was Secretary of Transportation for four years. So, um, so we then look and find that, yes, there was a law passed uh, by Obama called the FAST Act. And it was the Fixing America's Surface Transportation Act. Mm-hmm. Now there, there. So, so this is an Obama law, and when it was, um, and and they had a. Now I don't know if you remember. Maybe ten years ago, there was a derailment in I think Baltimore, where 
uh, train was going too fast and it went around the corner, went around a curve. I think maybe the driver, whatever the correct title is, lost consciousness. And the engineer. So about the, engineer. the engineer, of course. Yeah. Um, lost. lost uh, so they wanted to have automatic brakes if it went too fast. So there was a proposal to have a regulation. It never became the law. It never became in force. But, you know, no regulation was repealed. No, no deregulation. There was a proposal to add what's called um, electronically controlled brakes. Mm-hmm. I remember that. And the, the electronically controlled brakes include the fact that it allows all of the brakes in every car up and down the line to engage at the same time so that the, so that the entire train stops smoothly. Not, you know, not the front brakes and then, then the, the, the train piles up. So there was, they, they put out a notice of proposed rulemaking, which is the, and, which is the first step towards a regulation becoming a law. And um, then Obama, you know, signed the FAST Act, which changed the rules. I mean, uh, Pete Buttigieg comes out and says, you know, we're constrained by laws. Remember, he said he said that in the last few days. As (laughs) if the as if the laws were from Trump, the laws were from Obama. Okay. Now, now remember, part of that thing I forgot to mention, but is that. We just went through the scam of infrastructure. Who wouldn't? Um, um, who who wouldn't? You know, who wouldn't want to for infrastructure? But the problem is they keep they keep having the same scam over and over again. Remember, after the Obama administration came in, they had the same big, huge infrastructure bill back back you know a decade ago. Remember. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, um, Different um, name. yeah. And, um, oh, it was, you know, part of it, well, it was part of the Recovery Act. But, but they, the recovery they regularly do this. I, I can go back 20, 30 years. They're talking about we've got to rebuild our bridges where our infrastructure is falling apart. I mean, this has been going on for, for decades. And they never actually do it. You know, part right. of the problem was we, so, we weren't bombed out in World War II, so our infrastructure is old. You know, the, the infrastructure Denver, in Europe's new because right. it's all been replaced. It was in 1945 they had replaced most of it. We didn't. Right. Hmm. So in, on December 4th, 2015, Obama signs a five-year infrastructure spending bill. And trains would count as infrastructure, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and remember, because everybody, the, the big, the big uh, it's part of the stimulus. I mean, just like what we just saw, there were different parts of it. There was a trillion dollar um, infrastructure bill passed during Obama's presidency, and there's a lot of skepticism. So remember what they did is they put someone in charge of watching the money and making sure, you know, and shepherding it and making sure it got done correctly. Do you remember <laughs> who that person was? Uh, no. <laughs> I know you're going to tell me. <laughs> who was it? It, it, was, it was Barack Obama. Oh, I mean, no, 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 I'm sorry, Joe Biden. Barack Obama okay. put Joe Biden 
in charge of the infrastructure spending. Just so, like Kamala okay. Harris <laughs> is in charge of the border. Right. Joe so Biden that way it doesn't get was, done. So his job was to not do it. Yeah. Right. Okay. So Joe Biden, not only, not only should this have been fixed by the Obama bill, but it should have been mm-hmm. fi- fixed very specifically by, under the czar-like leadership of, of um, Joe Biden as vice president. So, that so the bill happen. was passed. It was passed, but it was never implemented. So they never made the changes because the brake system makes sense. Pianca and I were talking about this earlier, and I thought the brakes would be from the back first because you don't want the trains piling up. But if the brakes work from the front first, that makes no sense. It's nothing, it's nothing wrong with the braking system on trains today. What are they normally about use? electric? Well, well that was, that was, that was the other question. A, was, how does, why come when you put a boxcar out in the middle of a rail yard, it stays there? Good point. It's got air brakes. Yeah, we talked about the whole air brake system. So, does, so how did how did what's the no? Air it, it's got it, it has it has spring brakes, actuator brakes, which is released by air. Well, and that's also what we call the locomotive, the locomotive, the locomotive provides. I guess you want to say the final braking of the whole yeah. train. It's not going to take a long time for a train to stop. Right. Well, the idea was were... number one, mm-hmm. you want to have, you want to have the the car, the, the the train stop if it's going too fast, um, and I guess by the speed limits, electronic that, that whatever. Out, they have sensors on the track where you go back, send message back to the central station, and they will send an audible over to the. An engineer, if he don't wake up, then they have the ability to, to remote control that train and, and stop it itself. The, well, that was the, uh, control problem. That was a big part of the controversy, I think, like 10, 15 years ago, in a, in a, is that what if he has a heart attack? What if he's drunk? What if he's distracted? What if he's just taking too many Marijuana. chances? Marijuana. They all smoke pot in the ah. trains is what I <laughs> That's one of the big problems. So, well, I mean, I mean, it's probably boring to sit there and think, but so so anyway, um, mm-hmm. and then the other thing is to, is this te- technology to make the, to make it smooth when when it would break by making electronically controlled so that, so the thing stops smoothly. So then they were they had this regulation working through the Department of Transportation, and then the law changed, and so they had to stop and redo it. And and they uh, um, so so then they did a, a, a an evaluation under you know while Elaine Chow was was Secretary of Transportation of you know the General Accountability Office GAO did a study of this of this proposed regulation they found that that there were some serious flaws in the Department of Transportation's proposed rulemaking. And that really, when they um, when they fixed them, um, there wasn't very much benefit compared to the cost for these. Now, one could say, well, what you know, it's priceless. What's the cost of people getting killed? Um, so, so really, the GAO came along and 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 threw you know cold water on the whole idea. Mm-hmm. And so, the Department of Depart- Transportation, under the Lord of the Swamp's wife. Um, withdrew the regulation that had never yet become law. 
Huh. Now, in a, depart- in a depart- federal department, there's usually a program office and someone who's hot under the collar about some idea and is pushing it. So when, when Pete Buttigieg took over Secretary of Transportation, there's been two years for whomever was the champion of this idea to get it back on track, so to speak, um, if, um, you know, if they thought it was really a good idea. Of course, you know, Pete Buttigieg wasn't doing anything, anything else except breastfeeding his adopted son. So, um, <laughs> yeah, his only so, qualification I mean, we say here is he married a dude. That's what qualifies him to run the transportation system. <laughs> yeah, but but my my argument. What I specifically think arguments, Jonathan. I'm sorry, but, but if I could say this, a lot of these arguments is a bunch of malarkey. If you got a school bus that's on a railroad crossing and the train has a stop hard, and it happens all the time, practically. The cars don't derail. No, that's true. That's true. So, well, let's let's get. I think this is a political argument rather than a, an engineering argument. And oh, so absolutely. That's my, that's my whole. That's my that's, whole that's, point. Let, let's that, get to that then. That's what I think is, is the problem. Well, here, no, but he's, after, but, but it's necessary to talk about what Bianchi is saying because that illustrates the fact that it's not an engineering argument. Right. It's a it's a political hit job argument, and mm-hmm. and so. Um, so they, they decided to pull the regulation because it really didn't work. And, um, at least not as well as it, as it needed to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, but so the thing, but they're out there saying, and people on Twitter are saying that Trump, Trump repealed the regulation that would have avoided this. Now, what's really interesting to me from a legal perspective, and I see we might be getting out of time. Uh-huh. Is that um, just to, to, to maybe wrap up? Is that no, you can sum if, it up. If, okay. if Pete Buttigieg, as the secretary or the Department of Transportation, would say Trump repealed the regulation that would have avoided this, I'd say, "Oh, you already decided what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, you you've already assigned blame." I think that would come as a big shock to the NHTSA that's or the or the whatever it is that's the highway, you no, know, the the safety board. It hasn't decided yet yeah. why it derailed. So, so if you're telling us it would have, this would have avoided that, you're saying you already know why it derailed, which is it, which like it's like the president of the United States declaring that a criminal defendant is guilty. You know, the Secretary of Transportation should not be prejudging the outcome of the safety investigation, um, and um, it has legal consequences. And then, of course, you, uh, I mean, again, a great movie is called Flight, which is not about the, it's about a, a pilot. And, and mm-hmm. the second half of it is how he faces the safety board. And uh, so I, I recommend just illustrating that. Uh, so, so the thing is, it's all malarkey. As to, but, but the indications are from neighborhood video cameras that the wheel failed. That there are yeah, it shows the parts. Yeah. That the cause of the invest. Oh, did you know that they found a pipe bomb on a train track, I think, just flat overnight next to a church in Philadelphia? Those terrorists. Yes, in the country. Yeah. Well, I mean, our borders are open. You're right. It's political. It's political. If you have a train that's 150 cars long, 
disconnects the engine from the immediate car behind him, that whole train stops because the brakes automatically apply. Yeah. Yeah, the brakes the and, brakes and the truck A locomotive the locomotives have motor, electric motors that drive the wheel. And that electric motor itself has a braking property to it. It's just like when you're in your car and you throw go from drive and throw it into first gear, that uh resistance right. in the transmission and the car will soon later stop without putting on the brakes. Good explanation. Yeah, but, yeah. but so let me hold up here is, because have... uh, we we're, we're, we got Dorothy here and she has to leave right at the top of the hour. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to pick up next week, or, or Bianca, you can call in, or Jonathan, you can call in anytime too. But this is fascinating because it comes under that that same category of things, you know, where they say the Affordable Care Act isn't affordable, or the uh, Inflation Reduction Act doesn't reduce inflation, or if we only had gun control, you know, we wouldn't lose any lives. It's the same bogus argument. If we only had this regulation, and then it doesn't do what it says it does. It's Washington speak. It all comes down to Washington speak and using politics. But Jonathan, keep looking into this. This is, I think this is going to be a fascinating thing. We need to pick this up next week too. And we need to talk about Ohio and all the regulations the EPA broke that they enforce on us. That's really what it comes down yeah. to. Is that the government enforces all the right. rules on us, not on themselves. Thanks, Jonathan. All right. Talk to you later. See you, Ponky. Okay. Great chat, everybody. Uh, let's get on to our sex and sensuality report with uh, Dorothy Diana. sex. Everybody talks about it. Some of you are even doing it. But are you really talking to the person you are doing it with? It all comes down to communication. That's where Dorothy Diana comes in. Dorothy is a sexual health nurse educator. She has studied hypnotherapy, Reiki, and many other disciplines. And what is sex without sensuality? Something has to light your afterburner. Join us now for a sometimes very frank and occasionally quite descriptive conversation of sex and sensuality with Dorothy Diana. Yeah, speaking of train wrecks, relationships can end up there too. This is the biggest segue we do, Dorothy, from from (laughs) just screaming politics, legal stuff, international crises, you know, um, blowing up the, the, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And then we talk about relationships and sex and sensuality and all these wonderful things we talk about, all our, our good, squishy, wonderful feelings. It is, it is the single biggest contrast that we have on the show. And it, I, I just came to that conclusion, listening to that theme, which definitely puts me in the right mood. I think our, your theme is essential for what we do here. It really mm-hmm. is. Yeah. It's really so good. How you been? You've been, you've been traveling, haven't I you? Think- I haven't talked to you for a couple of weeks. Yes, we went to, it was a big group of people, went to um, Victor, Idaho, which is just between Jackson Hole and Grand Targhee. We spent mm-hmm. a few days snowboarding at both. Um, the really daring kamikaze guys went on a snowmobile tour that <laughs> about half came back injured from. <laughs> hey, hey, you got to uh, live, you know, it's, it's a, the life. I mean, I used to teach flying, you know, I mean, isn't that dangerous? Well, it can be, but it's really fun. <laughs> You know, so there's a price to be paid for uh, for for living your life and living in what I call the adrenaline zone. So yeah, I mean, if you don't dare to do great things, you know, you can sit at home. But as uh, Mark Twain wrote, you know, in his book, The Dangers of Staying in Bed, you know, stay out of bed. Most people die in bed. They die in bed. They do. That's or, right. Know, do the do the do I have the crazy a stuff. Expression. I have What's a favorite that? expression I like to say, and not everyone understands this, and it might sound a little callous, but I like to say, you can sleep when you're dead. <laughs> 
<laughs> Not a lot of people say that. I'll get plenty of rest when I'm dead. Let's yeah, go. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but we until need then. a lot less sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we actually need a lot less sleep than we think we do, and that's maybe a different topic, but I love it. The Ooh, higher your positivity and the more excited you are, it yeah, will. Like, so we have this mythology in our culture uh-huh. that, and the mythology came from, quote, science, but we know science uh-huh. is always changing, right? And the traditional sciences, yep. you need six to eight hours a day. Now, that has, that's been proven not to be true, and it varies a lot depending on your positive thoughts, your energy level, your excitement about your life. Um, mm-hmm. So let's say, you know, you broke up with your, with your, with someone you're in love with, you all had a, had a breakup, a falling out, right. and, you know, you mm-hmm. stay in bed for a few days and then they call you back and say, you know, I've changed my mind. I, it's my fault. I'm sorry. I, I, I really love you. I've thought about it. And all of a sudden and then you go back to bed for a few days, crazy energy <laughs> <Sorry>. ah! <laughs> in a different way. That's right. <laughs> yeah. um, but meaning that you suddenly have this burst of energy, you know, being newly right. in love. Um, being mm-hmm. on a trip you love, like, so it really does depend on your energy and your positive emotions and your, um, your outlook. So, so some people don't need much sleep and I love to say sleep when you're dead, you know, go do the adventure, get up early and, um, have a exciting, fun life. Right. Uh, we did that. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. Well, that's wonderful. Now I have a weird schedule, but during the week, I'm usually, I get about four and a half hours sleep. Uh, then I get about two hours nap after that. So it's my brain dump. So everything that happens on the show, I forget because I have to start getting ready for the next day's show. So I literally nap and just dump everything. And I wake up and I go, oh, where am I? What's going on? You know, and I kind of start over. So for me, it actually works to sleep twice a day a lot of times. Weekends, mm-hmm. I don't do that. Oh, yeah. Six and a half hours. You know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, six and a half hours is my ideal. You know, more than that, I get groggy. Less than that, yeah, I'll probably have a nap. But, uh, but you can make up for it. But, yes, it's a weird thing, but that, that's what works for me. Well, so if you look at, like, traditional cultures and a lot of um, non-Western cultures, the nap is hugely important. And I remember even 10 to 20 years ago, this big push in the business community, like they'd have a little nap. Um, oh, power naps? Like Google corporate, yeah, they'd the set, like, little nap rooms. Mm-hmm. And, well, and this is, this is, um, this is, there's a lot of evidence to that, that we're not actually intended to sleep in one big swap, and we're not actually necessarily intended, depending on the area of the world you live in and the light and things like that, and we're not actually intended to eat big boluses of food. So, hmm. it's, you know, it pays to kind of look at what we're told and taught and kind of figure out, does this actually make sense physiologically or, or not? And I agree with the, the nap, the shorter night times than the nap in the day. I think that mm-hmm. seems well, to be shown to be very healthy. Yeah, yeah but, so, but I think the six and a half hour, if I'm not going to have a nap, if I have to work all day or do stuff all day, then the six and a half hour works. But this idea of eight hours, I can't remember. I think I was like five <laughs> the last time I got eight hours of sleep on a regular basis, you know, but it's, it's been a while. Huh. But uh, I wonder why that is. Why would society tell you? Well, the, the, I mean, it's, uh, the, the government standards, you know, you need well, eight, eight hours work. of sleep. Let's not get, well, we can get all conspiracy theory here. And say, um, you know, stay home at night, get get this chunk of sleep, and then please come to work. You know, at eight yeah. eight till eight work at hard, your pay corporate more taxes. job. I mean, I don't, yeah. yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, don't, who's don't get injured and cost the health plan money. They don't money. care about yeah. human health. Right. Yeah, they don't want to pay for for a nap. And they don't want well, to go home to lunch, you know, and, and have a nap with your wife. Here's yeah, maybe here's the I question. don't know. Well, I, yeah, I mean, you know, group nap, you know, na- partner nap, <laughs> let's go. We might even nap during our partner nap, you know, who knows? Um, but how much, you know, is, is uh, I guess I'm trying to say, you know, if, if everything you do is work, and, you know, the way I said, the, the left wants you, uh, they're only happy when, when we're all miserable because all we're doing is working and paying taxes. And when we're happy, when we have freedom, they're miserable because they don't have control. 
And so how much is excitement uh, uh, really a health requirement? How much should you get an adrenaline rush every once in a while? How much, you know, are people happier when really cool things happen? You know, when you take that zip line, you know, why do people do it? I mean, so I, th- I feel like ahead. it's a balance, Greg. So like, okay. can, are you able to be still? Are you able to reflect? Are you able to introspect that the quality of your intimate relationships is, is really good and you're not bringing your old baggage to the table and okay. you take the time, the, the downtime it takes, then you respond to your body when your body is edgy and restless and say, you know what? Let's go do a huge power workout. Let's go run that mountain, run the dogs, whatever. Everyone has availability to, to, to exercise their body intensely, and that releases trauma, and it gets your headspace clear so you can figure out what's just edgy restlessness and what's, what's real that you need to work on. And so you have mm-hmm. your downtime. You, have your, you yeah. have your body exercise time, and you have your let's go full throttle, get that adrenaline rest, and love life, right? So mm-hmm. I think it's a balance. Yeah to be healthy. Um, But, but to say, you know, my life is a bummer. I have to go to work. I have to do this. I have to do that. And then I'm going to sleep eight hours a day and get up and do it again. That's no life. That's slavery. So we can move away from that. Mm -hmm. But that's what I think uh, the the dominant culture wants everything. Those that want to control other people. Uh, That's the whole, you know, it'd be interesting to relate political control to relationship control. I mean, what kind of relationships do dictators have? (laughs) Probably bad ones. Um, But it's just interesting. The need for power as opposed to the, the, the need for excitement. I mean, I'm firmly on the excitement side. You know, I shoot guns, I've kayaked, I've whitewater raft, you know, I've flown gliders, you know, I've been up in hot air balloons. You know, I've done a lot of, you know, I've traveled for months at a time by myself. You know, I had a pretty adventurous life. I lived, you know, and I was a flight instructor and all these different things. Um, play rock and roll, <laughs> you know. So, uh, but that, that to me, that's essential. But I can bring that to everything, every other aspect of my life, like radio, like relationships, like things like that. I, I, I feel like it know. starts with the belief. I feel like it starts with the belief that you don't have to fit into a mold and you don't have to do what the system tells you. I think it starts with the belief that freedom is your essential right and, in fact, okay. essential, essential, absolutely essential for, for health and happiness. And mm. what does that look like for you? And what does that look like for you? And then what are the gifts? What are your, what's your zone of genius gifts you can bring to the table for humanity? How can you use your time to contribute to others, service to others' energy? And then oh, what, you know really feeds, what really <laughs> I mean, feeds you and what really feeds yeah. your spirit that you want to spend your extra time doing? And um, all rules aside, and, and then when you do that, mm-hmm. as you well know, you, find, you begin to find your tribe and the people that support that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can look like, look like a quite an amazing life, as you're describing. You've done, right? Well, I've already made my choice. My choice, I mean, if you're speaking generally, people need to find their, 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 their passion, find you know, what uh, their excitement. But for me, it's action radio, the idea of being a pioneer, of doing things no one's ever done before, uh, of combining you know, legislation with uh, a radio show. You know, that to me is mm-hmm. exciting because you know, I don't like the rules. It's I'm, so, it's I was born a rebel. amazing work. It's such oh, amazing work, and it and actually, well, yes, you know what I think because I think it's very brave, yep. and you're putting yourself out there, and you could be the target of a lot of hate because you say a lot of things and you broach a lot of topics <laughs> and you have a lot of guests. And things. look, I don't, think, I don't, I don't, I mean, I find, you know, you and I have gone toe to toe on certain topics where, mm-hmm. um, where I feel, you know, that uh, this this thing is one thing and you, you, feel you have a different point of view. And I think that's lovely, but a lot of people can't handle that. Right. In today's political climate. But we don't <laughs> and, do that. Um, uh, we and, do that to learn from each other. We don't do that out of I combat. Like it. And, 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 and I think people need to understand that you, once you give up the ability of the need to win, 
See, I can talk to you. I can disagree with you completely and have absolutely no need to win. I don't have to win. All I have to do is express myself. And all you have to do is express yourself. I need to listen to you. You need to listen Mm -hmm. to me. I need to talk to you. You need to talk to me. So you can't hold back in your talking and you can't hold back in your listening. And it's not, it's not a competition. It's not a fight. It's not a battle. Disagreeing, and this, is probably, this, is, this might apply to relationships too, but if you, if you give up this idea that you have to win, that you have to be right, that you have an opinion, your opinion is perfectly valid, and someone else might have a different opinion that is equally valid, and that's okay. Once you're in that space, you can talk about anything, which we do. Well, it, this actually overlaps really nicely into what was in my heart and in my mind ah. today, which is vulnerability. And I think we've Please talked about me. vulnerability before, but I, I feel like it, it's worth a lot of revisits. Um, sure. So when you are doing a radio show like you do, where you're not just cut and dry reporting what the mainstream wants you to report, in fact, quite the opposite, um, <laughs> and when you're teaching and when you're teaching what I teach with women and you're pushing some boundaries like I like to do, in society that, for instance, the pole, pole dancing can be reclaimed mm. as a framework for the that. art. Of the, do, you, do you have pole dancing it can be, let me Let me just finish because I want sorry. to finish my thought. I'm going to like lose it. So okay. reclaiming the pole um, as a framework mm. for the art of the feminine body, as a personal dance practice that is not performative, that is not for others, um, to build the strength, to have a beauty, to unleash the sexuality with your sister tribe of women in a private place. You know, I, I struggle sometimes when I try to share what I do on social media with trying to reach people who don't understand that and try to like say, no, 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 this is not what you were th- thought it was. This is something fully different. And we're on the floor and we're on chairs and we're celebrating each other and we're dressing up and having fun. And what this does to your life outside the studio, I can't even begin to describe the, the transformative effects on self-confidence and um, femininity. At, but yet it requires intense vulnerability and discussing sexuality, sensuality, and, and being authentic. I have shame, you know, asking a woman to say, you know, I have shame for my childhood because this offense happened to my body. Someone gave me the message that blank. To be able to get to that spot for a woman where she can say it out loud in a group of women and then move through it, take a dance practice and, and emote through it to clear it, it requires so much vulnerability. And then to take that to your intimate relationships, to be able to say, you know, um, we're in bed together and I'm enjoying our sex, yet I've always wanted to do this with you. I was afraid to ask because I was afraid you would think I was kinky. Uh, I just, I'm so, you know, I love you so much and I want, you know, but I'd like to try this. That, that requires a lot of vulnerability or to say, you know, it, it hurts and I, right, it hurts when, when you do this, even though you don't intend it. Or I need this in our relationship, even though it might seem extra. I, I need us to do, I need you to show your love this way because that feels like love to me. All those things are so important, yet people don't do them because they're afraid of being rejected, not loved. They want to be cool, right? Our society is full mm-hmm. of show and not authenticity. So I'm, <laughs> I'm talking sure. a lot and I appreciate you letting me, but the no, topic of vulnerability, yeah. I think is, we can come back to it and we can relate it to almost every aspect of an authentic life where we make intentional choices that feed us and serve humanity. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And you can pull dance. I, I really know it. You can. <laughs> I think it'd be great for I feel really good. You know, that. first of all, you know, I remember taking police physicals, you know, after nine 11. So looking into, to, to law enforcement doing my part and I'm leaping six foot walls. I didn't know I could leap six foot walls. I'm 42 years old, leaping wow. six foot walls. Oh, that's pretty cool. I'm yeah, like I wonder if I could do that. it now. Post that. 
<laughs> no, I, I, you know, I wonder if I could take a, like, I'm 63 now. Could I take a police physical? Well, why not? Mm. Let's find out. I'm in pretty good shape. Well, I, it would you know, take a lot more work, shape. Greg. It would, it would take a lot more work than it did when you were younger because your body, the body changes. Now, there's a mm-hmm. whole segment we can talk to on how you don't have to age, but that's a big topic. And, well, you know, part of, not, <laughs> part of not, part of not keep doing what I do. Obviously, yeah. Well, the lack of toxins, the clean food you put in your body, um, right. visualizing your DNA, visualizing your tele- telomeres lengthening, and also trying new things and pushing your body and, and stay super active and super happy. And so I agree with that goal, and I feel like you could do it. It's going to take a little more effort, but now your testosterone levels are going to go up because you're going to be more muscular, and um, you're going to have this great feeling of accomplishment. Let's do it. Love I it. think my testosterone levels have always been up. You know, I keep hearing this, this <laughs> nonsense that, uh, that, well, when you get older, you're not going to find women attractive. I find women as attractive uh, as I always have. Now I'm in my 60s. You know, I've heard this crap about, well, you're going to slow down. A friend of mine actually said, and she was a psychologist, so she's not speaking from an uneducated point of view. She said, well, everybody I know slows down somewhere between 50 and 55. And I'm like, okay, that was 10 years ago. I'm waiting. <laughs> I don't see any slowdown, you know, so I think a lot of this is, is, uh, is attitude. And of course it is genetics too. And how you take mm-hmm. care of yourself. Uh, vulnerability yeah. has always been um, the concept of it. So I wanted to, to hear what you had to say on it. Just out of curiosity, I looked up in the dictionary and it talks about the quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed physically or emotionally. Yeah. So that's exactly mm-hmm. what you're talking what about. A, what okay. a definition. Well, yeah. to be vulnerable is to say, I'm going to, I'm going to reveal my naked self to you, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and trust that you will, you will hold it and, and, and love it and, and reflect back mm-hmm. something that looks like love. And that doesn't always happen. So the first step is self-love, right? Love yourself enough that you can say something and no matter what the person's response is, you're still okay. But then you can move forward in the relationship knowing that this is who they are. So now create some boundaries. Right, because they cannot yeah. be this person you need, or or they can, right? Yeah, and what's interesting is I look at this and I listen to you. Um, you know, my guy point of view comes out, and I mm. think women like men to be vulnerable as a weakness. I think men don't mind being vulnerable if it's as a strength. And what I mean by that. It's what I do on the show here. I expose a lot of my personality. I talk about a lot of personal things. I talk about a lot of uh, everything that I'm thinking, feeling, and doing. Um, and, but I do it, the reason I do it is from a position of strength. It makes me stronger. It makes the show stronger. Uh, it allows people to be as vulnerable as I am. However, in a, in a relationship situation, it almost seems like enforced vulnerability. In other words, you're not good enough unless you are vulnerable and tell me these things and break down and cry and do all this other stuff. So there's, I think there's, you know, there's like male vulnerability and female vulnerability. And the difference is right there. Is it from, you know, are you doing it out of vulnerability that brings you strength or are you doing it to show weakness? That's, I think, a huge division in how we look at vulnerability. I don't know if you've ever thought of it, because mm-hmm. I just thought of it just now. What do you think? Well, I, so, Greg, if we're in relationships and I say to you, I'm really enjoying our relationship, I love the way I feel when I'm with you, mm-hmm. and I love these things we do together, I want to share with you, because I always want to be close with you, that sometimes I want blank, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I, I want us to do this together or to have these talks together or to share this activity, whatever it is. And, um, and what do you think about that? And 
So that's vulnerability. And then you have a choice how you respond. You can be like, well, I, don't, I never liked that. I'm not into it, right? <laughs> <laughs> which, which happens. But that's which not would be a rejection. Yeah, or connected. See, well, it's just not yeah. very kind of connected. Yeah, it's, it's like, okay. I don't really care what you want or need. I'm not into that. That's a hmm. huge statement, right? And you might feel that way, but a better response might be, huh, I haven't thought of that. Thank you for sharing that. Can I have, yep. can I have a time to like, turn that over in my head? And I really appreciate um, you feeling safe with me to tell me that. I mean, yep. you don't have to agree, but, you know. But that seems to be vulnerability out of strength. Uh, what I'm thinking about is, I guess, the, the negative. When I, and I, I, I think oh, I tend to make yeah. my, my snap mm-hmm. judgment to the negative. In other words, you, you don't show me your emotions. You don't you know, tell me enough of how you feel. Or, or like I've, I've actually heard this in relationships. Those aren't your true feelings. It's like, mm-hmm. how do you know? <laughs> you know if you That's already, fear. That's I, I a remember fear-based saying something, response. Yeah. And yeah. I, I remember saying to the fear-based response. Of, I can't possibly believe you care about me like this. I mean, if, if you've shared a positive thing, Right. And then they say that, that's probably, I can't, well, I mean, either you've shown them that your actions don't equate what you're saying, so that there's a possibility, right? Or, or I can't trust myself to believe that. Or they've already prejudged my feelings. That, they've already prejudged what I they want me to say. I can't trust myself to believe you because if I open my heart and trust you, you might hurt me. And so I need to, I need to convince myself that can't be true because then I'm in big trouble, right? <laughs> it could be. Or, like I say, it's a, it's a way, it's, it's, a, it's a control thing. You know, in other words, it's enforced vulnerability uh, or when someone I think it's amazingly insulting to say those aren't your true feelings. And yet I've heard that. And it's like, how would you you know, if I'm giving you my true feelings okay. and that and that closes that closes guys up immediately when you hear somebody say, like, why should okay, I talk so to you? Instead it doesn't of, matter what well, I say. You've that? already told me you're not going to listen. So that's that's a that's well, a big well, block right there. Yeah, go ahead. Well, OK. And then so then we can go next level because you might have a really perfect partner who still mm-hmm. has some stuff to work on from the past. So if our goal is to be the best partner, if our goal is most people, almost everyone, almost everyone, it's almost impossible to come to any relationship completely fix everything you've ever heard that's ever happened to you. But I mean, I might suggest yeah, when you're twelve, that if (laughs) even then, you know, you still have family. No, even then, I mean, if you've been in school, I mean, look, trauma starts, and I know that word's overused. There's just not a better one. I mean, I could try to be creative and think of one, but for this lack of no, that's right. I understand trauma. Right now, I've been there. Trauma. I know exactly what trauma is. On, right? <laughs> but back sure to what you, yeah, back to what you said. So you can be the guy, and this is a choice. You can be the guy that like closes off and says, "Fuck that! I can't believe she just said to me, you don't know your true mm-hmm. feelings.' Or, haha, mm-hmm. when you've really done a lot of work and you love this person, you can take a breath and say that really hurts my feelings. I feel very disconnected when you tell me I don't know how I feel and that I'm not telling the truth. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say this. I, I feel like you might be saying it for these reasons. And um, I would love if you'd reflect you on why. that. I need a... You could ask, why don't you yeah, think those are well, my true feelings? What's, where does that come from? That might be an interesting exactly. response. Okay. Yeah. And if the person's, if the person's unable to right then, you know, a lot of times if they have a reaction like that, those aren't your true feelings. They don't even know. Like, so, so you can ask them, why do you think you, what, yes, give me some evidence. But sometimes mm-hmm. it's not even factual. It goes really emotional. It's like super deep, right? So it'd be yeah. nice if they went into her, I, I mean, I'm thinking of the feminine here. It'd be nice if she could go into her masculine brain and get some facts. Sometimes <laughs> they cannot, though, when, I'm, no, or, I, I, I'm not insulting. I'm very feminine. I do have the ability to say, cite facts, but when I'm in relationship right. and I'm feeling emotional, sometimes that mm-hmm. part of me is cut off. So I might not be able to. So taking a little space and saying, you know, um, I'd like to revisit this. I want you to know how it made me feel, honestly, and um, why. But I don't 
I don't know that you think that for a fact. I think it just maybe isn't an emotional reaction, but please share with me and let's take some space and then come back and discuss this. That, that might be really nice, you know, yeah. and then she well, has to present evidence. Mm-hmm. Doesn't vulnerability work two, both ways? In other words, you cannot mm-hmm. be successfully vulnerable if you can't be with a person who understands and accepts your vulnerability. And that goes for both men and women. It's really a, a dual process. Of course. It's not you can't be vulnerable on your own, really, can you? I mean, yes, because you it's can. Just you. Greg, when you own it, absolutely you can. And this comes back okay. to self-love. So the greatest practice you can do, the greatest state, in my opinion, on this, is when you love yourself and you've done your healing work so much that you can continue to be vulnerable, vulnerable, and you, you, you're vulnerable like a rock. I mean, you're, you're able to just lay it out there so authentically, and the people will come towards you or they'll fade away. And <laughs> I think that's that kind of where we are here on the show, you know, it, because we are so the open quickest about route. Things. It's the yeah. quickest route to knowing who your people are and is this person meant mm-hmm. for you. you? You will drag out a relationship long past its due date, expiration date, by not being mm-hmm. vulnerable, by, by, right. by putting on a show, pretending you're okay, saying the cool things. You know, I, it just doesn't work. So, yes, you can be vulnerable. If the other person is not vulnerable and you are and they respond to your vulnerability in a way that doesn't care for your heart, that mm-hmm. is your answer, you know. And, and the pain is going to yeah. happen. Pain is part of life. Right? So, so you, you mm-hmm. feel the pain, you breathe through it, you sit with it, you, you don't try to push it down or spin out. And, um, then you react and then to you, it. <laughs> yeah, and then you make a choice yeah. based, on, based yeah. on that. You make a choice. You know, maybe you give them another yeah. chance and say, wow, I was really vulnerable with you when I said this and I really took a risk. And your response felt really cold and felt really rejecting. And I'm, I'm really disappointed and and. I'm, go- I'm going to need a minute for, for you to think yeah. about that and figure out where we're going from here, you know? And then let's try it again. Let it take two. Um, I think people Possibly, need to reduce. It depends on how many takes we need, right? How many takes well, two might be you enough, want to put up you know? with, right? Well, it's <laughs> like, you know, Jesus said, you know, turn the other cheek, but that only leaves you one, you know, so you can only do it once. Ooh, there's a thought. I mean, it, it depends on you. I mean, some people are very clear, and they've been, they've been through it enough, and they're self-evolved enough that they know early on um, they don't, they have high standards and if the mm-hmm. person isn't on their level, uh, they're okay moving on quickly, trusting mm-hmm. that God and divine source and the universe will yeah. send the right person at the right time. And, and some yep. of us, you know, will go on and on and on because the oxytocin and serotonin and dopamine are so addictive, which is a reason I advocate for women and you can advocate for men what you like, cause you have a strong opinion about the masculine, but for women particularly, don't open those orifices early on. Keep them closed because you need to save your sexual intimacy um, because we get very, very addicted, right? So that sexual, the physicality comes into play and our minds go, you know, kablooey. And, and the ability to discern. <laughs> this is good for guys to know. Guys don't know about oxytocin. Yeah. They, don't, they don't know about the love well, drug. And, uh, you know, so, oh so men, Lord. you know, hang on to your men part until you know, you know, with whom it's going to affect. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. and it works for guys too. The guys need to be careful as well, because you don't want to attract somebody that uh, that's not the person that you want to attract. You know, you don't want to be. You know, you do you do something just for the sake of doing something, uh, and then find out that all of a sudden that person is really attracted to you. Now you've taken on much more than you intended to. Guys, yeah, I think guys have to be just as careful. See, this is the thing that, that so many of these things I think are applied in society to women, and guys, you know, if they just thought that maybe that applies to them too. 
you know, this is, you know, so I do take a guy point of view, but I also point out a lot of things that men have to think about and it's and the things that, uh, that women assume about guys. You know, we always want it right now. Well, yeah, maybe because guys think that they have to prove to themselves because they're, they've been conditioned to behave a certain way and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Guys think to be a man, they have to have sex 24 hours a day. And maybe they don't want to have sex 24 hours a day, you know, and all of a sudden, but that makes them vulnerable because they think they're less of a man. When in reality, they're perfectly mm. normal. They just don't know it because the, the, def, the, well, the definition of perfectly normal for men is totally screwed up based on you know, well, misplaced Viagra, expectations. Well, Viagra screwed a lot of people up. Viagra screwed oh, a sure pharmaceutical did. product that was nothing but a big yeah. lie. Um, yep. Maybe appropriate for point, point, point zero 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 three percent of men, if well, even some that. Guys do have we can, we can, we can, nobody, no 55-year-old woman, very few 55-year-old yeah. women wants a rock-hard erection from her husband 24 hours a day. Um, in fact, vaginal penetrative sex becomes less important. Now, I, I'm mm-hmm. making stereotypes. Some women mm-hmm. listening are like, ah, not for me. I want, you know, I want the D all day. But, you know, <laughs> um, for a lot of women, if they get older, you know, the vagina becomes a little drier. Things change. The hormones change. And there's so many well, other ways to have sex. That. So Viagra <laughs> tries to pretend that every man should be a 17 to 25-year-old man and that that's right. what women want. Lies, 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 right? Yeah. That yeah, being yeah. said, um, there's a lot of things, you know, if you love your partner and your sexual desires are a mismatch, which is a whole other topic, sexual desire mismatch, um, yep. there's a lot of solutions for that that are really lovely and fun. And, again, requires vulnerability and the willingness to um, prioritize the relationship yeah. and your partner's needs, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, your partner's you super horny me. all the time and you're not. <laughs> no, you got to match your horniness. We should, we should have like a horniness index. You know, so that people, and that would be part of a relationship contract. We've talked about that before. You know, where, where are you on the horniness index? Index, so, you know, you know, we can divide it days of the week, you know, and then times per day. I mean, this could be fascinating. I love talking to you. This is so much fun. But you mentioned something earlier, mm-hmm. self-love. And I think the, ascent, mm-hmm. the essence of vulnerability from strength comes from self-love. So in other words, you have to believe in yourself. I believe in myself now. Yes, it took me a long time to get here because everything conditioned me to just the opposite in the first, you know, half of my, uh, of my, my developing life all the way through like my 20s. And then I made a turnaround. I said, wait a minute, this is wrong. It took me another 20 years <laughs> you know, to get past it. And now I don't give a crap. Um, but there's a, there's a meme that I post that I found online. And it's like, you know, can you be, you know, and it's one person facing a crowd of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, and it says, you're all wrong. So the one person is saying, you're all wrong. You know, and if you can have the conviction to, to tell, you know, millions of people looking you in the face that they're wrong, even when they're telling you you're wrong, then you've got the strength of your conviction, convictions. That's inner strength. That's the kind of strength I think that people have who are on this show, that we can say what we can say, and we don't have to be right. Or we can say that people are wrong, but in other words, you know, it's, it's the thing that's wrong, not the people. And so uh, the self-love, I think, is critical. We probably need to talk more about it, that who you are as a person. Well, you, you know, how can yeah, you be so, in, in a relationship and how can you not only give the independence to someone else, but take the independence for yourself that's required for your own strength and bring both of your independent strengths. You know, I, I came up with an interesting term the other day, an independent relationship. In other words, it's a relationship. But but essential component of it is the independence in the relationship. Can you can you have a real relationship so big, if you Greg. lose your in, if you lose your independence? How's that for a thought? It's so big. It's so big. This topic okay. is so good. So <laughs> you just said a whole lot of things, and so I got excited. Write them, write them down. Check them on the start. podcast. Now we'll we'll, we'll do it tangential next week. <laughs> brain right here. My my female circuitous brain wants to handle everything at once. Um. Uh, okay. So independence. 
I, again, I think it comes down to each member of the couple and what they need as far as closeness and independence, right? So, mm-hmm. again, traditionally the masculine can, can, can solidly task on one thing at a time, task-oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, so the masculine energy in the relationship may seem like uh, they're a little more independent. They're able to um, spend time on the relationship and then completely focus on work and other things and come back. The female energy tends to be able to multitask really well, but in mm-hmm. relationship that mo- might look like texting all day, right? But she's actually <laughs> working and she's actually cleaning mm-hmm. her bedroom and she's actually walking the dogs and talking to her kids and making meals, but also texting and <laughs> sending emojis. So that might look to the man like, she, what the hell does this woman do all day? But it's interesting. So, again, I think communication and um, I respect yeah. the masculine energy. I, I'm, I'm watching your energy as my partner, and I'm seeing what you're offering me because the, the healthy masculine energy is very generous. So if you're, if you're with a healthy yeah. masculine energy, they're generous with time and money. So if you're with a healthy masculine energy, um, pay attention to the time this person's talking to you and giving you his time and match it. And we're not game playing here. You're not matching it because you don't want to seem too eager and you want him to like you more. You're matching it because it's the respectful thing to do and you don't want to overwhelm this person. You don't want to, it's a little selfish to expect the masculine energy to have the same communication and constant um, connecting, touching, touching base with you needs as a feminine. Take that to your girlfriends. You know, and I, I, does this make sense what I'm saying? Because this tends to be mm-hmm. a mismatch in some relationships. So the girl no, no, wants to see, text all day and get I can, I can yeah. multi. I can multi listen. Okay, I can not only do I, do I give multi topic chats. I can also multi topic listen. So, uh, you know, this is why I say I think we're all masculine and feminine. You know, if you're if you're a really solid person, you got both because you have to. You have to be able to to. Uh, otherwise, how do you relate? If you're purely masculine or purely feminine, you're not going to be able to relate to anything, and you're you're almost isolated because of that. Ooh, there's another topic for you. Uh-oh. Yeah. I've, I've, stumped, the, well, I've stumped the host. <laughs> I've stumped well, the guest. I was listening, or, and, I, and I sort of got a brain, a brain uh, glitch. So just explain that one more time. I'm sorry. Oh. Um, yeah, I just clarify. You me in silence. Um, Isn't that funny? No, I, did, I completely lost it because I've, I've been talking about, oh, yeah, so masculine and feminine. In other words, the fact that, you know, you know, so you're multitasking, but I can listen. I can multitask listen, and it makes perfect sense to me. I can do that, you know, and if most guys are so compartmentalized that they can only do one thing at a time, uh, you know what's interesting? Uh, I think about as, as a flight instructor, this just came to mind. My best mm. students of, of flight instruction were, mm. were um, like blue-collar contractors, plumbers, electricians, people that fix things, auto mechanics. Okay. Um, they were my best flying students and the reason they were my best flying students, and these are guys these are macho strong men yeah. for the most part i love it uh, the reason on. they were so good at flying was because they could multitask they could consider uh-huh. different variables different things and they weren't so focused on one thing my worst students doctors oh. lawyers scientists God. were horrible now they also made the most money okay because <laughs> they, now they you're having to that's very interesting and i wonder mm-hmm. if your er doctors would be the same as your radiologist I wonder Probably. if a doctor who's working in a field, like if you had a field doctor from Siberia, and this mm-hmm. one guy I did the sexual health program with, he was a field doctor in Siberia. Talk about multitasking mm. and being on your toes. I wonder if the different, like if you're an ER doctor, you'd be better at flying because they're, they're getting things thrown at them that are unexpected all the time, or a lot of the physicians have to well, cut and dry all day long. 
I had a combat trauma nurse. This woman, mm-hmm. if I was ever Whew. injured, I'd want her to take care of me. She was that good. Wow. She was the one student that, uh, that I took into, uh, and we, this is just luck, but we we're in a situation where we could uh, uh, do what they call an instrument approach. So an approach is where you can't see the ground. You're flying on radio beams. You know, you're, you're, you're basically flying by the instruments, and all you see is gray. It's like the world, you're in the clouds, right? So there's no sensation of movement, so you have no clue where you are. You don't know the left, right, up, down. You don't know what the airplane's doing unless you trust the instruments. So you have to divorce yourself from your feelings and just purely read the instruments, especially when you don't have, like, a really good autopilot like our little airplanes. And we were flying into Monterey. And in, uh, in Monterey, they have, they have these levels. So in other words, if you can't see the ground by 200 feet, you have to go back up in the clouds and, and you know, fly around, go somewhere else or, or try a different approach or 400 feet or 600 feet. So we had an approach that said you could only go down to 600 feet. It was, it was a less precise approach. And the clouds were like 300 feet. Call for the approach where you can only go down to 600. And, of course, Monterey approach says, well, the, the, that's below minimums. You're not going to be able to see the ground. And I said to the, the, the controller, exactly. That's the point. I want to show my student a situation where we can't see the ground because no one ever does this in training. They never get the, the real emergency. They never get the real you know, situation. And the person I had was my combat trauma nurse student. She's like, let's go. <laughs> she didn't care. It was a great experience. I bet she was so, amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so that's uh, one of my favorite students. Yeah. So, uh, but as opposed to a doctor, like a surgeon who only does, you know, appendectomies, you know, that are this far along, they're perfect at what they do, but they can't do anything else. You know, God help you if your liver is in trouble because all they do is work on appendix or a heart surgeon or something like that. I think it's my heart surgeon was fabulous, but the more specialized and it's fascinating. Now this would go for relationships too. So you take it, so you take a person, let's relate to a personality. So now you've got a personality who can, you know, be an auto mechanic and diagnose a million different auto problems. Great pilot, male or female, doesn't matter. But then you take someone who is a, a nuclear physicist looking into, you know, quarks, you know, that are whatever. I mean, something really, really specialized particle beam accelerators. Mm-hmm. They're going to have trouble flying because you've got to be able to multitask. Now, aren't relationships, by definition, a multitasking experience? Because well, of the I'm, going to say something that's, I'm going to say something that's going to sound maybe trite or a little opinionated or whatever. But when you talk about these blue-collar men that um, work with their hands and um, you find that they're better flying, I feel like you're onto something here not to insult anyone there, we have the stereotype about this toxic masculinity, and if you were to oh, ask someone who watches, if you were to ask someone who watches mainstream TV, you know mm-hmm. who would be better in an intimate relationship, a blue collar worker or a doctor? I mean, if you just got out of regular high school and you've kind of been watching TV, you're probably going to say a doctor. And I'll tell you, in my experience, the couples I know whose husbands, the husband is a blue collar worker or somebody who works with their hands. I'm just going to throw this out there. They tend to have, seem to be, they tend to have closer intimacy, um, a lot more authentic type interactions. And again, this is a huge stereotype. Um, I get better reports of the facts, to be honest. I get better reports of the facts. Now, this is not across the board, but when I think about the couples I've come across, um, it appears the problems tend to be more, why don't you be more direct? Hard to say. Almost doctors say and lawyers simple. who are on power trips suck in bed. Blue collar uh, guys that help ego, people and uh, fix over. things. You know, right. maybe what's that? 
I feel like the <laughs> ego sometimes takes over when, when you have a okay. higher success in terms of how the world views you. It's easy to get into your ego. Then you're less likely to give and take maybe in relationships or to feel like it's your fault. You might have this perfection type of image where you can't admit failure. You might have come from a school Ooh. system where you made the best you're choice. You made an A. So your, your identity is wrapped up in this perfect um, image mm-hmm. and the perfect grade. So if your woman needs something that you consider weird or off base, or you feel like you're not doing something that she needs, maybe an inability to even consider that. Like it can't even like, um, I don't know, in this whole perfection sort of image where you walk in someone's home and everything's in perfect place and everything's of the highest quality. And, and even though they have kids, it doesn't look it's lived in too much. There's something so artificial about that, and maybe that goes along with these certain kind of careers and life pathways. And I, I feel like it might be more challenging in those situations to be imperfect, which is required for vulnerability and connection, right, to have human connection that's super deep. There's a lot of sloppiness involved in that. There's a lot of messiness. There's a lot of mistakes. There's a lot of um, imperfection, right? I, mm-hmm. I don't know. There's there's something here though we're on to, um, and I'd like to actually dwell yeah, on that. Yeah, feel free to be bolder in your statements too. It's like all these disclaimers and everything. Well, I don't want to say this. I don't want to say that. Maybe I don't want to be offensive. Mm-hmm. That's, just forget all that stuff. Okay, just just get well, it. Well, I don't want to say a stereotype. I don't want to say something that hasn't been. I, I'm, I'm a scientist. My undergrad was biochemistry, so I will say I have this mindset that a hypothesis is a hypothesis, a theory is a theory, and although I may have seen this pattern happening doesn't mean there's anything to it. So that, I, I just, I'm hesitant wait, 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 to... Wait, 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 wait. How can there not be anything to it if it's a pattern? That doesn't make sense. Well, it could be coincidence. Correlation does not imply causation. So, you know. No, but you got enough correlation. <laughs> it is causation. All right. Now, I, now, I've used the example before, too, that if, uh, if, if you're standing at a corner uh, next to a mailbox and a butterfly lands on the mailbox and two cars crash in front of you, do butterflies cause car accidents? No, they don't. Those are unrelated <laughs> events. Okay? But if you're on the same corner and people always have a traffic accident when the sun hits, you know, 5.42 p.m. and the, uh, and the, the eastbound car you know, or the westbound car runs into the eastbound car, that makes sense. Okay, so now you've got a sun problem. All right? So, I mean, there are causes and effects. And this idea that, uh, you know, I don't believe that you know talking about the vaccine being safe and effective just to be political for a second we got oh, overwhelming so evidence sad. it's not okay you can't say that, that. it's not cause and effect 2020 in 2020 okay. there were scientists saying they've been trying to plan this rfid and this hydrogel technology for a long time and there's the sad thing is this whole now dr drew pinsky who i always liked drew pinsky i used to um, he was an internist at huntington memorial in pasadena when i worked there he was you know a door and he is a I mean, I've met him. He did rounds on my patients. He was in the ICU hmm. sometimes, but um, okay. would he remember me? No, but everyone knew him. He's a love doctor, right? I want him on and, the show. Uh, I just, it'd be, I'd love to get Dr. Drew. That'd be fun. Well, also, you saw what, did you see the interview this past week with Naomi Wolf? No. Okay, so um, with Naomi him, Wolf wrote, 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 wrote Naomi Wolf is a PhD. Yeah, she, you know, she, she wrote the beauty myth. So being a, being a third wave feminist myself, I loved her What's before that? the pandemic, but the fact that she, well, we'll get into that later, but I just okay. love the feminine, uplifting the feminine, decreasing performative sex, increasing empowerment, but also great relationships with vulnerability, all that stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. She wrote the beauty myth, you know, and she, uh, she's a huge leader for, uh, she, she's a huge leader in a sexual health icon, essentially. 
So she okay. came out in the pandemic early on saying, huh, wait, my patients are having menstrual irregularities um, from the vaccine. But even prior to that, she was advocating for the ivermectin, uh, I believe, if I remember correctly. But, but her biggest thing was her patients and her practice were having menstrual irregularities, not only after the vaccine, but after having sex with their partners who got it, if they didn't get it. And she was seeing this in huge amounts, and she was sharing it. And Drew Pinsky is a friend of hers and was kind of dismissive. Mm-hmm. He and his wife were like, oh, come on. And so he apologized this week after a year. He brought her on the air oh, really? and said, look, I'm seeing the same thing. It's kind of yep. scary. I didn't want to admit it. I'm, mm. I'm embarrassed. I was, I was an egomaniac. Told you all. I'm eating crow now. He said, yep. I'm eating crow now. You were right. Mm-hmm. Please tell me more because now you were onto this all along. And, she, mm-hmm. and her, her reputation was ruined. She was smeared on Twitter. Um, and, Do you know what and she's he talked to her for an hour. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'll, to, uh, I'll, I'll write that. So Dr. Drew and uh and Naomi Wolf. Wolf. Now, what's, now i know her because she's been on lindell tv she's on with emerald robinson all the time i've seen an interview with mm-hmm. uh, steve bannon i've seen her on mm-hmm. one american news and, and and i don't know newsmax but i know one american news and so naomi wolf in fact i've got her uh, i'm going to write her because i've got her uh, um i'm on substack too now so she's on substack naomi wolf and i remember her as being more she, liberal and, and more so feminist sweet but she's and changed. so well-spoken she's so yeah. kind well-spoken oh, she's great Sweet um, mm-hmm. and just truth telling, and yeah. she's just not but afraid she's found a home. to ask the questions. Yeah. Hmm? yeah, she's found a home on, on conservative media because she's telling the truth. We've all—I mean, I've been saying, listen to my shows. I go to to March second of twenty twenty. I said uh, Fauci's evil. Uh, vaccines, you know, we don't need them. We've got cures. I said this is all a bunch of nonsense, and they're using it to steal mm-hmm. our rights. And this is back. This is I, I I'm one mm-hmm. of the very mm-hmm. earliest. Good people. for you. So this is this is all. I got the videos. I got the shows to prove it. I can send them to you. You know, so it was. I've got it was the fe- Facebook post to prove it. I lost about I, half my friends. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, uh, because well, just don't forget, assumptions are stronger than truth, and this is something we should talk about in relationships too. Assumptions is Greg's rule number one. Assumptions are stronger than truth. People will take their assumptions to their grave rather than believe the truth. You know, and that goes for politics and that goes for everything. But I want to see this Naomi Wolf interview. She's fabulous. And so, she's someone yeah. that may not have been predisposed to this, who may have believed doctors and said, She yes, wasn't a is... conservative. I don't believe she was political. Nope. I don't believe she was. I believe she's, in fact, like the definition of very mm-hmm. liberal, um, probably socially. And so that mm-hmm. she doesn't fit the mold, which a lot of us didn't. You know, I'm, I was a Democrat my whole life. So, mm-hmm. you know, and look they where like, you are people now. like to put us in a box. And I don't know I'm that I'm not. Yeah. I don't know what I am, yeah. but I'm. But you can't. Mm-hmm. It's not a political thing. It's just a facts thing. It's just caring about others and saying out loud mm-hmm. things that are unpopular, being vulnerable, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And my vulnerability during that time, it was scary, but it, it helped me clear out a lot of people that weren't for me, you know. And my my tribe now, my group is really good. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Well, I mean, you meet the nicest people when you run into people with independent thought that don't. Uh, you know, it's, I, I divide people into, uh, what is it, compliant and rebellious and, mm. or resistant. You know, in fact, I even did a show on that, you know, the, the move from compliance to resistance. I, even had, I forgot where, which point it was, so I can go back and take a look. But there was a point where all of a sudden the resistance was stronger than the compliance. And I thought it was the healthiest thing. But those of us who were resistant from the beginning, who knew this was all wrong, who knew this was prearranged, who looked – I mean, I, I spent – as soon as I heard that uh, – um, a little off topic here, but I'm going to get something else I want to bring up in a second. But as soon as I heard well, that, that the ban travel from okay, China. Well, this goes together. It's okay because it all well, goes it's, together. This, it does. And I can tell you so, why, but go ahead. Well, this is, talk about having the courage of your convictions. Everybody told me I was wrong at first, and I didn't care because I knew I was right because I have logic and reason. I have my brain. 
And I knew that you don't develop a vaccine, which takes 15 years when the virus is already here. You kill it and you cure it and you treat it. And so I started looking for a vaccine. I started looking for, uh, I learned about viruses. You know, what kills them, what cures them, what gets rid of them, what treats them. I had two, within two or three hours, I had several shows where I thought, we don't need the vaccine. And this is back February of 2020. So the the travel ban comes in in January. Uh, I already already had COVID. Everybody around the, the Gulf Coast of Florida had had it. Uh, late December 2019, early January 2020. So we all had it. As soon as we, as soon as the symptoms came out, it was like, oh yeah, we know what that is. We had it. So we we, yeah, we knew I had we were it in immune. February 2020. My whole family had it in February. Yeah, exactly. We didn't know we didn't know did. we had it, but <laughs> yeah. But once you read the symptoms, you go, oh, that's that's COVID. Okay, great. So I'm done. Yeah, that was my the COVID. weird thing we all had. That was that weird illness. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that cough. No wonder we all coughed for so long. Mm-hmm. I wish yep. I had known because I could have prevented our symptoms being so hard. Huh. Well, let me tell yeah, others how actually, to prevent it. Nope. But it was better to have it and not know what it was. <clears throat> so by the time you did know what it was, you didn't have to worry about a vaccine because you've already had it. Why would you need mm-hmm. immunity for somebody well, you already have immunity to? That's irrational. Because the, the, because the science changed. Fauci changed the science, right? He no, told us Fauci the changed the propaganda. He was not well, dealing no, he, with science. Yeah, that's what I meant, yeah, of course. Yeah. He, changed, he okay. made the science change. So the science of immunity suddenly didn't exist anymore. So, exactly. But back to this, I want to I wanna, I wanna be selfish and change it back to what I love, which is vulnerability and sexuality. So, yeah. Yeah. So during and, that, and time, I want to talk about I got a point vulnerability that required bravery okay. that required, you know, caring more about others than you did about your reputation, caring more about saving others and helping others. And mm-hmm. it isn't about being being right. It's about having a discussion in the first place. Like, like, forget about being right or wrong to be able to say and ask a question, say, hey, this seems odd. Why are they mm-hmm. telling everyone can, can you know, or um, or hey, mom. You know, I know that your TV is telling you to take this vaccine and take these certain medications, but I can tell you they're just trying to sell you something. Um, this is what I've learned. And to risk the older people mm-hmm. who love TV to be like, mm-hmm. you're crazy, and to reject their own children, not see their children, and reject, you know, I'm at master's in nursing. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I have other healthcare friends that had the same experience that their own parents rejected their information and took the TV's information, endangering. Mm-hmm. We know now that it sheds. If you watch the Drew Pinsky and Naomi Wolf and um, oh, I'm going the to. new research. Is the re- it YouTube or, or? Well, the researchers, I can send it to you. But, but now we know that the vaccine does shed. And, that's, yep. and, and, and so most of us probably have these little hydrogels in our blood. It's important to clear them out. Well, but, if um, you have immunity to COVID, are you immune from the shedding too or at least resistant no, to it? because we're not even talking about COVID anymore. I mean, okay. I'm going to be honest. We're into the bioweapon? Based on my understanding now, we're not even COVID. <laughs> COVID, <laughs> I believe there was a virus that was created and released, but I don't believe that. I don't, I think, uh, Hey, I got I a feel CDC. Like that was I, got, I got a CDC chart that says flag. it ended. Almost a false yeah. flag. The intention was to get the hydrogel technology in the bloodstream of What's everybody. Hydrogel? The intention was the population reje- reduction. So it looks hydrogel. like. Um, okay. Hydrogels and nanoparticles, the lipid nanoparticles. Oh, okay, uh, right, gotcha. Yeah, and and it's uh, it's mm-hmm. like a clotting type substance, and when it, it, it accumulates, it self assembles, right? D-dimer and it tests. The Y'all need D-dimers. It That's causes, what I've heard. It causes the clotting, and it goes to. Um, mm-hmm. it's especially attracted to certain muscle cells. So that's why it goes mm-hmm. to the uterus and goes, it goes to the reproductive organs almost first. And then, um, mm-hmm. and it goes, it passes the blood brain barrier, but yep. it looks by all the current evidence, it looks like it sheds quite easily. And because everyone's blood seems to have these things now, whether they took the vaccine or not. So, 
Well, this I is why you need intentions. separate blood. You need, you need vaccine-free blood. We talked about that way back in 2020. Yeah. Let me ask you something because we only have a few minutes left. I know you have to go at the top of the mm-hmm. hour. I wrote something down here. I wrote down strength without ego. Isn't mm-hmm. the real key as an individual being in a relationship to have strength? Because you want to have your inner strength. You want to have your convictions. But you have to have that strength without ego. That the ego is going to destroy you. The need to be right. You know, the auto mechanic says, hey, I screwed up. That part doesn't work. Let's get you a new one. You know, the surgeon says, oh, my God, how dare you question me? I'm a surgeon. I know exactly what I'm doing. That's, That's right. Difference. Surgery is the only answer. Anything else that you try is silly um, yep. quackery, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think we have to walk away from those people. I think we've learned that during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. There's so many great lessons. And, you know, on that topic, one of them is walking away when somebody has 100% the right answers all the time. Uh, <laughs> a, professional, a professional said this is the only answer. Mm-hmm. This is really? what you have to do or else you're wrong, mm-hmm. no matter who you are that person, you know, hasn't really done their work. They're not treating the individual. They're just following, you know, a generic protocol, no matter what the specialty is, right? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. The, the, the only absolute is that there are no absolutes. That's <laughs> pretty much what it comes down to. And what you said, strength without ego, strength without 100% ego. like, it's yeah. so reassuring when an expert can mm-hmm. say, huh, well, I didn't expect that. Okay, that didn't work for you. You know, let's let's try this, and here's another option. Kind of both of those, here's the advantage to choosing those things. Here's the possible disadvantage. Why don't you kind of think about it, do your own research, uh-huh. and let's come back and discuss it again in a couple of weeks. Like, yeah. what a great, what a great, you know, um Well, I think that's message. the secret of vulnerability, isn't it? It's strength without ego. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's my revelation yeah, for today. strength without ego. Yeah, strength without Ego, right, yes. Mm-hmm. Being able to hold a safe space for yourself and those you love mm-hmm. and be authentic. Authentic be and brave. And... Yeah, you can be strong for somebody else. You can be wrong. I mean, how many times have I admitted I'm wrong on the show? It's almost a daily basis, sometimes multiple Lovely. times per show. It's, and I don't care. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I'm, I'm not wrong because I'm wrong. I'm wrong because the subject is wrong, the issue is wrong. I haven't thought about something. Someone adds, you know, you listen to the show too, the same thing. If someone has a good point, you know, you got to be able to give credit for, for good points. So, hey, I haven't thought of that. What a great idea. You know, I shouldn't even say I haven't thought of that because that's egotistical too. I should just say, that's a great point. And just add it to, you know, hmm. when we do bills, the reason the bills that we write here are so public and why everything is so, quote, transparent, although I'm really starting to despise that word, is because nobody has a monopoly <laughs> on all the good ideas. You know, the reason I post bills is so people can comment on them. Why? Because I want other people's opinions, good and bad. You got 90 seconds. Yeah. My, the voice in my head I just heard. So, yeah, I know you got to go. But, yeah. So, to sum up, Dr. Dorothy. <laughs> I like that name. Dr. Dorothy. We might use that more that often. I mean, I have to go back and get my PhD. Oh, my gosh. No, no, no. I'll do it. Yeah. I like it too. I like it too much not to do it. I'm signing up. You should today. get a PhD. Mm. Yeah. I have to decide mm. where, though. I have my finger in so many pies right now. What would you get uh, it it's in? It's really fun. What hmm? would you get it in? What would you. What would well, you get so in? I love holistic health, and my master's is in nursing, but I also mm-hmm. so much love sexual health. Um, yeah, I don't even know yet. There's a lot of directions I could go right now. So. Has anybody ever been prescribed sex as a cure for things, speaking of sexual health? Mm, orgasm. Orgasm okay. can cure migraines for a lot of people. That's interesting. And Never when you have sex and you're, 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 you know, your baby's a little post-due and you've got to get that baby out, you know. Um, a midwife will prescribe sex sometimes, like have him come inside okay. of you 
because the semen, you know, softens the cervix. That's what I can think of right now. Mm. I think it could be prescribed more, Greg. We need to to do this on a show. We need to do sexual prescriptions. Mm. In other words, mm. you know, you're, you're depressed, you're not feeling good, you're like a promise relationship, or you're not healthy enough, you need to get that heart going, but you don't want to go bike ride, so you better, you better, mm. you better have some sex, you'll feel better. I mean, let's do I that. mean let's sex do that. does take a lot of calories. If you're, if you're right. you know, really into it and you're having mm-hmm. a long session, you know, you're burning I mean, calories. the arms, a mm. girl's thighs, depending on the position, there's a lot mm, okay. yeah. of exercise to be had and don't even get started on positioning and getting off the bed and on different <laughs> furniture items. I mean, flexibility we're, really we're talking show. about. Yeah. Right. It's a book. Do you remember I the mean, dieters weight loss during sex? Do you ever see that book? It's about like 20 years ago. The dieters that... weight loss during sex. No. Yeah. And they actually had a card. Mm-hmm. They had a card that had calories per act. You know, uh, you mm. know, uh, when he's ready, Ooh, you know, fun. 50 calories. When he's not ready, 200 calories. You know, and they, I oh, it's hysterical. Yep, yep. So we, yes. got to talk, we talk about sex That's prescriptions. So, but, the, but this I book mean, was hysterical. I mean, you know, on a weight loss, someone who's using a life mm-hmm. coach, like make that part of the day, make that mm-hmm. part of the prescription. Like well, do this yeah. position with your husband for at least 10 minutes. So maybe, mm-hmm. maybe a stride, mm. he's laying down, you're straddling. Your, you know, you, your weight rests depending on if you have injuries, your joints are okay. You're kneeling, uh-huh. right? And now you're up and down. That is so much thigh work. If you do that in 10 minutes, I mean, that's, you I'm know, game. I'll be a partner. That's a lot. Yeah, sounds good. Hmm. And then if but, a man is in the plank position on top, that's uh-huh. a lot of arms for a long time, right? Uh-huh. What else? Yeah, got to build those arm muscles, yeah. Well, actually, with the, but they had, they had these categories. Oh, I have so many <laughs> like, ideas. Uh, like, uh, you know, you know uh, lightly doing whatever, you know, was like 100 calories, you know. And then they had other categories, you know, uh, merciless pounding was like 500 calories, you know, blacking out merciless was like 1,000 calories. Pounding. Oh, it was hysterical. Oh, my God. Can you imagine writing that prescription? You need to do 10 minutes of merciless pounding. On your yeah, wife, fall, because fall some blacking your out, conditioning is very fine. poor right now. Yeah. Well, see, I wanted to come up with the, the we should probably do this, you know, uh, intermittent fasting. And I thought to myself, you know, intermittent fasting would be a whole lot more fun, you know, if I was in the middle of a relationship. That way I could, like, skip dinner and have sex. So then you, what you do is you incorporate sex into your diet. So in other words, you, you eat, you know, that breakfast and lunch. And then you have sex for dinner. Okay, and then you're distracted enough, you don't worry about so being hungry. here's my recommendation for that. My recommendation <laughs> is... The, okay. the sexual part, the dinner substitute is a huge fluid bolus also. So let's say this is what I would like. Go ahead and okay. do a half pineapple juice, half water right. with a teeny bit of apple cider vinegar, um, okay. a certain, and then slam that, like drink that. Mm-hmm. So then you slam have, that, you know, said. your. <laughs> no, go ahead. Well, you could, you could come up with a whole, like, that could be the liquid part of your evening because in order for a woman to have good vaginal secretions and be well lubed, she has to be hydrated. And then the pineapple juice makes secretions taste better. So right? would that be so a good Valentine's present? Pineapple <laughs> juice, would that be a good Valentine gift? Here, honey, this is for us. <laughs> Sorry. If she's on the same page. <laughs> Ooh, that's true. She might want jewelry that. also, just saying. <laughs> jewelry and pineapple juice. How about for guys? What, what, what food works for guys? So get away from the Viagra. Thing. Pineapple juice does too? Oh, yeah, that's you know, really? the pineapple juice. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious. I mean, who knew? That's why the Hawaiians I mean, are so happy, I guess. You know, I don't know. I have to run. I love our I know. talk. I'm going to get ready for my kitties to come. Contact. <laughs> Contact information. And then we'll, uh, we'll talk. We'll pick Diana this up next week. On, <laughs> Dorothy Diana on Facebook. Dorothy underscore Diana on Instagram. My website's yoniyoon.com. I try to keep it updated. I do local workshops and private classes. 
and just a constant exploration of this topic. So thank you for letting me get all verbal. Oh, I listen. I love our chats. I really do. It's, it's always a joy <laughs> to have you on the show. And we'll pick it up next week. And for the audience, go take a cold shower, calm down, and uh, we'll get you all going next week. Thanks, I Dorothy. hope we gave some people some good, fun ideas. <laughs> I hope so, too. I, I think we should publish the sex diet. The, the sex and fasting diet. We need to put up like a paper or a pamphlet mm. or something. Because you got the credentials. You're like official. I'm just a you know talk show host with a with a whole bunch of ideas. But yeah, we should uh, yeah we could do something on that. I think. Great idea. I love it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Till next week. Okay, Dorothy. Take care. Have fun. <laughs> All right. You Say too. Bye bye. Okay. Bye now. <laughs> I will. Bye bye. <laughs> And as usual for Monday, because we have so many amazing chats, you know, I get the first hour and I don't want to take a break when, uh, of course, Bianchi calls in and then I don't want to take a break when Jonathan joins. And then, of course, I don't want to take a, a break when Dorothy comes in because I, you know, I get a chance to talk to her once a week like this. And it's, it's, uh, so that, so I've totally forgotten all my commercials, but that's okay. So great. Sorry again. Greg Fingles here at Blog Talk Radio. Uh, this is where you find us, blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Our latest website is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. I'm on Substack, gregpenglis.substack.com. I've got a huge five-part series on education. Uh, it's going to be like seven parts, I think, by the time I'm done with it. And then I have a bunch of other fun things to do. And we have amazing guests. We've got Jeff Childers, uh, who's a lawyer. is going to be on Wednesday. 8 o'clock Central Time. Um, Rebecca Hardy, Texans for Vaccine Choice, is going to be on uh, 8 o'clock a.m. Thursday Central Time. And Dr. Robert Malone will be on with us Friday, uh, 8 a.m. also. Um, so we have uh, 8 o'clock seems to be the guest hour, and that's 8 a.m. Central Time. So that's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Tomorrow? I don't know. I'm probably going to talk about electric cars or uh, uh, kind of like the sex diet idea. Sex and fasting. You know, so can you prescribe sex to somebody? You know, as a, as, a, as a curative, the things we talk about here on this show, who would believe it, you know, from Russians bombing the, or from, uh, you know, Brandon bombing the Nord Stream pipeline to, uh, I forgot what we did the first hour. <laughs> I didn't even think I touched the topic of the show. $100 billion to Ukraine, $100 billion to Turkey, and nothing for Ohio. Yeah, we kind of hit that too. All right, play a couple things, and uh, we've got our messages, we've got our affiliate groups. Back tomorrow morning at uh, 7 a.m. Central Time with, um, I don't know, I haven't figured it out yet. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850 623 
850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws. My pillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio Live. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand your ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. (laughs) 
Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.